Welcome to the Mile High Flight Show, where a Jets fan and a Broncos fan get together to talk about the NFL and other sports. I'm your host, Ryan Marinholtz, alongside Enrique Cisneros, and let's get into this. I'm so stoked to get into this, Enrique. We have a ton to talk about, uh, both in the NFL as well as the UFC uh, with the card coming up here. Uh, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing good, buddy. It's nice to hear from you. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm super stoked for... Uh... One, I'm super stoked for this time of the year. Two, I'm super stoked for uh, this show because we're finally start getting into some of that draft, uh, some of that draft stuff in the NFL. Uh, I know we have a we had a long month uh, with all the free agency news, and uh, yeah, I mean now uh, now we'll start getting into all that draft stuff and start looking at all the different team needs and different team fits for all these young guys coming out of college. Absolutely, absolutely, it's an exciting time to be an NFL fan. You know, just got over all those free agent moves, still some coming in here um, and just, you know, trickling in before and after the draft and finally starting to kind of see what the teams are going to look like next year. And there's a lot of, you know, tectonic plates in the in the league moving around and a lot of big players uh, changing teams this year. So it'll be fun. Uh, so a few more moves that have uh, been coming in that we can talk about real quick. Uh, Xavier Howard of the Dolphins, he agrees to a five-year extension that is worth $50.69 million, uh, including uh, – or the, so it's an extension that is worth another five years, but he already had, I believe it was three years and like 30 uh, on his contract. And so the full total of the new contract and new money and everything is going to be around five years and 90 for him. Uh, so nice. very nice contract for him there. Uh, we were talking about this a little off the, off the air, but we thought that he was gone and he was going to move to another team. And, uh, eventually they were able to work something out here. Yeah. And, and, and good for, uh, good for Mr. Howard. Cause Xavier Howard has been one of the premier shutdown corners in the league for a long time now. Um, and I mean, that's coming from, you know, an AFC East rival. And I don't, I don't tend to pick on the Dolphins too much because, uh, I mean, they're usually in the, the bottom of the barrel along with the Jets. But Xavier Howard has been a premier corner for a long time. And I know that he was real disgruntled with um, the way he was being handled and the way his contract was being handled. So I'm glad to see him get some more money. I'm glad to see, uh, you know, them throw a few more years onto that, that deal for him. And I mean, five years, 90 mil, that's, that's, that's a pretty good deal um, for the type of corner that he is. Plus, I mean, I think the last three years, he's had double digit interceptions, maybe minus a year or two, but yeah, I mean, dude's a stud and he's going to continue to lock down that secondary for uh, a very promising Miami team that the more and more you start looking at the Miami Dolphins, the more and more you're like, okay, where now, where do these guys fit in this AFC uh, picture? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're an interesting team to watch. Got a lot of talent. Just added Tyreek Hill, you know, of course, at the cost of, of a lot of draft picks and a lot of cap space. But uh, they've got some interesting going on. A brand new head coach, Mike McDaniels as well. Interesting to see how uh, he's going to work out. I think he's a really smart guy. But, uh, you know, when the more I see McDaniels, I kind of think, well, maybe it's because they have the same last name, but um, I think of the Broncos and Josh McDaniels uh, back in like 2011, uh, where very smart football mind. I'm waiting to see when it comes to Mike McDaniels, whether or not he's going to have like that personal side of being a head coach, 
that Josh McDaniels didn't and was such a big reason of why he flamed out uh, in his first uh, tenure as a head coach with the Denver Broncos. And uh, now he's getting another chance with the Raiders. Uh, But uh, it'll be interesting to see how Mike McDaniels can lead that talented team and if they can uh, turn that that roster into some playoff wins here uh, in a very talented AFC, like you said. Um, So to move on, legendary safety Malcolm Jenkins retiring after a 13-year-long career uh, between the Eagles and the Saints. Uh, Very, very nice player. Just a consistent force throughout his career. I, you know, I might have to look back at it, but I feel like he was just never injured, not all that often. And he was just always there in the league doing his thing uh, and finally calls it quits. Yeah, shout out Malcolm Jenkins for sure. Um, Just, yeah, like you said, very consistent safety. You know, just very, very consistent high play throughout his whole career. Um, And I think think he was on that Eagles team that went and got a bowl too, maybe. Yeah, Um, I believe so. So. You know, got that, got that ring. And yeah, I mean, it's especially nice to see guys retire when they want to and not have the game retire them. Um, So yeah, shout out to Malcolm Jenkins for sure. Legendary career. And he's definitely going to be one of those guys that people look back and say like, you know, Michael Jenkins, Malcolm Jenkins was nice. So yeah, shout out to him. Uh, Wish him the best in retirement. Absolutely. I I love that point you bring up of, uh, not letting the game retire them, but retiring on their own terms. And it's something you don't necessarily see all that often in the NFL. Uh, but for like legendary players like that, it's it's pretty cool when they get to kind of not necessarily walk off on the sun, uh, in the sunset, but as close as you can get to it. So uh, another large figure in the NFL retiring, Bruce Arians, while retiring from head coaching at least, uh, he's going to be moving over into a front office role for the Buccaneers and uh, letting Todd Bowles take over the reins for the Bucks. And an interesting note on this was uh, Bruce actually came out and said probably to quell some of the storylines that were already coming up in the media was uh, part of the reason why he made the decision was in fact because Tom Brady came back, but not for the reason that people are trying to make it out to be like they have some beef. Uh, it sounds like that if a long time wish of his Bruce's was to be able to retire and leave a team that was going to have a high chance of uh, success to whoever he was going to leave the team to. Um, and so, you know, good for him uh, if that's actually what it was, or, you know, it seems like it, it's a cool story, but uh, just letting Todd Bowles finally take over. You wonder if that's part of the reason why he didn't get a head coaching gig this past uh, cycle as well is because maybe Bruce Arians was like, hey, you know, some things could happen. And, you know, that he's in a really good spot uh, to be a second-time head coach, I believe Todd Bowles is now, um, after being yeah. with the Jets. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's um, – so first – I, I love the move for Todd Bowles. Um, I, I've always loved Todd Bowles. I loved him when the Jets hired him. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't think he got the fairest shake just because, I mean, we had John Isdick back then uh, as our GM. And to say the least, uh, John Isdick wasn't very good GM. Uh, none of the draft picks that he picked plan- panned out. I thought Todd Bowles uh, did a lot with a little bit of talent that we had at the time. 
Um, and so when he went down to Tampa and, you know, he won a bowl and, you know, he's surrounded by all this talent, especially him getting the credit, being a defensive coordinator. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Um, and I thought it was really cool. I think it's kind of weird. I think it's a weird move from Bruce Arians for sure. Uh, I wasn't like, this is one of the more unexpected moves. Um, and yeah, I think it's very interesting, especially with all the rumors and stuff that were coming out that this is the way he decided to move. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, no harm, no foul. Uh, and I, I don't think Brady would have went back to the Buccaneers if he actually had a problem with Todd Bowles. Uh, I right. think that, uh, you know, especially with how he retired and then came back, I think if he was going to do that, he's doing it, you know, because he has uh, full faith in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, yeah, I'm sure uh, Todd Bowles is going to just carry on where he's been. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like it. And uh, very excited to see that. It, you know, I'm sure they'll probably just hit the ground running. Uh, Bruce Arians being in a role too uh, within the building where uh, I, I believe the the title is like head football consultant or something like that. So he's, you know, still going to be there to be able to um, pass some pointers along. And as he left in his retirement note uh, available or be available to cuss out players when they do things wrong on the practice field which is very Bruce Arians. So, um, yeah. Um, So to move on another big story here, uh, the NFL owners have voted to uh, 29 to three to change the playoff overtime rules. uh, Now giving both teams a chance to possess the ball. How do you feel about that Enrique? I think it's interesting. Now tell me, what what is the biggest difference coming from the old overtime rules? Because I thought the old overtime rules that we just changed were um, pretty much first team to get a touchdown wins. So I know if the the team that first had got the ball goes down and kicks a field goal, then the opposing team has the opportunity to uh, score a touchdown and win the game. So now is it both teams that score – both teams have the opportunity to score a touchdown. Is that, is that how it sounds or am I, um, am I botching it? I, yeah, I'm kind of waiting because I haven't seen them like release super specific details on exactly how that's going to play out. But my understanding of it right now is that uh, basically it's going to be like it was before where you have the coin toss, whoever wins gets to choose. They're probably going to choose to receive the ball anyways. Um, and then regardless of what the first team scores, whether that's a touchdown, a touchdown plus two points, uh, they miss the two points or they just get like a field goal or whatever. Uh, the other team now has an opportunity to either match or beat that. Um, so say if the first team goes for two and doesn't get it, so they have six points, the other team can go down and uh, win it with seven but you can also have a game where the first team does get two point conversion uh, makes it a, you know, eight point game. And then the other team gets a touchdown, doesn't get the eight point or the uh, two point conversion and games over then. Um, But, you know, I, for me personally, I feel like uh, I didn't have an issue with the previous rules. I felt like the, um, uh, differential was kind of overblown. I, I understand the point with the super elite quarterbacks that we have now, you know, but at the same time, by uh, leaning into rules like this, in my opinion, the league is only moving 
uh, further towards an offensive center league uh, that just leaves defense in the dust. Um, you know, what the OT rules prior were one of those few things that were kind of skewed towards um, making you have to have a strong defense because if only the team that gets the coin toss, if they have a, a good quarterback and you feel like they're going to score on the first uh, drive and end it right there, you have to rely on your defense. Um, and at this point you can rely on the fact that in the playoffs, your quarterback and your offense is at least going to have a chance as long as you can tie it in the first place uh, to go down and score it. So uh, there's certainly positives and negatives. I, it doesn't bother me that much. And I don't think it's like a negative change for the game necessarily, but um, you know, you would like to see a little bit more balance with the defense in the league with that's already moving offensively. Right. And I definitely agree. I, I, I think this rule is probably going to be known as probably like the Josh Allen rule. Cause that's what I really right. feel like this came from, you know, yeah. I, and I, I definitely agree with your point on um, it, making it centered around the offense um, because yeah, I mean, I, 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 I hated the old, old overtime rules where pretty much a field goal would win you the game. Yeah. Um, I hated that. I hated yeah. that. So I like the way they switched it up, especially adding like, you know, the neck, the touchdown is the thing that wins the game because a touchdown is harder to come by than a field goal. And I, yeah, I think it's uh, definitely taken away from the attention of the defensive guys. And I feel bad because I mean, the the defensive side of the ball is one of my favorites for sure. Um, yeah. Even sometimes more than offense, because uh, I mean, you know, just like they say all the time, defense wins championships. I mean, that's how the Broncos won their last Super Bowl, um, you know, against Cam yeah. Newton and the, and the Panthers was their defense went out there and played lights out. And, yeah, you know, when you start adding rules to change that, it um, definitely skews it a bit. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, the NFL, the next time they uh, have a problem, they'll change change it again. So right, we'll see how this one rule uh, – we'll see how long this overtime rule lasts. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you make good points in there. And uh, like you said, we'll see how long it lasts because uh, nothing lasts forever in the league. And a lot of people like to say the league is cyclical. Uh, cyclical. That's an interesting word uh, where, you know, things will go around and one part of the decade, the league will be very centered around, uh, you know, defense and the run game. And then five or six years later, you look and it's a passing dominated league. Um, and, you know, all the defenses are just playing a lot of like they are now playing a lot of nickel and dime packages and have a lot of corners out there. And it's not as much about the bruisers and the uh, offensive and defensive lines as much. Uh, and that just goes around in a cycle. So we'll see how long it lasts. Uh, fun little note before we move on on the playoff OT rules. Um, speaking of the fact of them only lasting so many years when the previous overtime rules were first uh, in play was 2011 in the Tim Tebow Bronco year. Uh, and the first game that those uh, rules were used was the Broncos versus the Steelers where Tim Tebow threw a uh, first play overtime pass to Demarius Thomas. It's like 75 yards to win the game. Yep. Legendary play. Yep. Yeah. Legendary, legendary play, play, legendary player. Uh, rest in peace, yep. Demarius Thomas. Crazy moment, and just had to throw that in there. 
No, absolutely. That, that is I, not being a Broncos fan, but being from Denver. Um, I remember the Tim Tebow era and the most, and I'll say that, like I said, not a Broncos fan at all, but the Tim Tebow era in Denver, Colorado was the most exciting time ever. It was yeah. so crazy. And to cap it off, uh, with that slant that went to DT, like you said, RIP 88. Um, yeah, I mean, just an iconic moment uh, in Denver football and an iconic moment for uh, for Demarius Thomas. And uh, one that Tim Tebow shared um, when we found out about the tragic passing of Demarius Thomas, that was one of the moments that Tebow brought up on his own. So, yeah, that's a, that's a nice way to end that uh, overtime segment for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, and then one more, oh, a couple more moves here. Uh, the Jets signing Solomon Thomas to a one-year deal. Solomon Th- Thomas, a player that, you know, first-round pick, I I want to say 2017, but I might be wrong on that. Um, he has not lived up to all of the expectations, um, but he got drafted by the 49ers, played a good few years there, was part of their 2018 run. Uh, and then got shipped over to the Raiders and has put a little bit of life back in his career and it started to get better uh, signing with the Jets now. And it's an exciting move for me. I want dude to succeed. Uh, and I'm interested in your opinion on that as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll definitely get into some of the Solomon Thomas um, stuff a little bit later uh, when we break down the Jets a little bit. But yeah, Absolutely. I love the signing for the Jets um, because it just – I love taking that second chance on guys that were picked really high. And um, if I'm being honest with you, not only did you get it correct on the year that he got drafted and the team he got drafted by, but he was drafted third overall, you know? So yeah. you, have, you have to understand that there was definitely an amount of talent that got him drafted at that spot. And um, even more so I'm excited to just put him in that rotation with Quinn and Williams and John Franklin Myers and, you know, uh, we're getting Carl Lawson back. So just to have these, you know, this rotation of talent, I just, I love to see it. I love, I love when the Jets do things that make sense, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Carl Lawson is a name that I I almost forgot was there, but that's exciting that he'll he'll be back. And uh, you love to have that, you know, depth that you can rotate around, especially on that defensive line. That's something that the Bills have been doing a lot recently, uh, recently is making sure they have all that depth uh, they can move around and stay fresh throughout the game uh, and in such an important position group as well. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in the Jets section later on. Uh, but just to touch on that for a second here. And then one more move before we start getting into some of our uh, pre-draft stuff is the uh, Devontae Parker. It's actually happened just a couple hours before we got on air here. Uh, Devontae Parker traded from the Dolphins uh, to the Patriots. And the Patriots receiving a third round pick. Uh, Dolphins also sending over a fifth with Devontae. And it's an interesting trade. Devontae Parker is a player that, you know, has not had the best luck in terms of surrounding cast for his career. You can kind of liken him to an Allen Robinson in that sense. Um, But I I don't know that he's had the production uh, nor the availability uh, because of injury to uh, necessarily be put in that class of receiver. Uh, But I do think that going to the Patriots uh, could be an interesting move for him. He's clearly their best wide receiver on the roster now. Um, And Mac Jones is, you know, he's accurate. 
he'll get in the ball. So it's up to Devontae Parker now, and we'll see how that works out for him. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a big fan of Devontae Parker. Um, I'm obviously not a big fan of him now, though, because he's going to the yeah. Patriots. But, um, yeah, I mean, best of luck to him. I do agree with you. I do think that the Patriots are going to give him that that foundation that he needs um, as far as professionally. And then the other part is on him because, you know, I think some of that stuff down in Miami partially was him uh, not being available. Um, and then I just felt like there was times in Miami that honestly could have just played better. But, um, you know, it – the fact that the Dolphins were able to get a third round pick for Devontae Parker, I think that's pretty fair because honestly, I probably wouldn't have gave up more than a fourth or a fifth for him just just based on his production. I mean, I think that he's had flashes for sure. And um, yeah, the fact that the Dolphins were able to get at least some of those picks back from the Tyreek Hill trade. Um, but I kind of link this in that same category of like when the Rams traded Robert Woods. If we can keep Devontae Parker with Tua, with Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill, why not keep Devontae Parker? You know, and right. I, I get, you know, obviously um, Mike McDaniels is the one that's going to be playing with the offense a little bit. And, you know, maybe Devontae uh, didn't have a clear role. Uh, maybe, right. the, I mean, he, like you said, he automatically becomes the Patriots number one receiver. So, you know, it's definitely a good career move for Devontae. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're Miami, I felt like if you could have kept him, why not keep him? You just never know with injuries and stuff. You, yeah. At least that's my opinion on it. Absolutely. I'm with you there. Uh, we talked a little bit about that with the Rams last week. And it's like, you know, in this league where it feels like you have a player or two go down every week, it's just attrition sometimes. Um, that's depth is never a bad thing to have, especially when it's your depth is a Devonte Parker. Uh, but you'll never hurt getting a third round pick back for him either. So, um, all right. So I guess we can go ahead and move on to some of our pre-draft stuff, uh, for our show today, we're going to go ahead and cover four teams, uh, Broncos and jets, obviously. And then, uh, we both picked one other team to cover. So I'll let you go ahead and start off with your first team, Enrique. Perfect. So the team that I picked besides uh, my New York Jets to start off with, I picked the Houston Texans. And the reason why I picked the Houston Texans was because, I mean, they have a ton of, uh, they have a ton of needs. They have a ton of draft picks now after uh, the Deshaun Watson trade. But I mean, all right. So I got their picks right here. So round the third overall pick and the 13th overall pick that's from Cleveland for Deshaun Watson Round two, they have the 37th overall pick. Round three, they have 68 and 80. Round four, they have the 100th, 100th and 7th pick that they got from Cleveland. Round five, no picks. They have three picks in round six and one pick in round seven. Um, so the first thing that I see from the Houston Texans, obviously they got the new head coach, and I love Lovey Smith. Uh, I think that he's going to be able to bring a foundation in uh, that the Houston Texans need very, very badly, especially after losing. I mean, they've lost all the faces of their franchise the last couple of years. They lost J.J. Watt. Uh, Deshaun Watson requested a trade. And, I mean, the Deshaun Watson uh, drama lasted a year and a half, two years already. Um, and now they have to start over at quarterback. Um, you know, I mean, they had a franchise quarterback. They paid him a lot of money. Now he's with the Browns. Is, Dave, is uh, Davey Mills the answer? 
um, you know, from a third round pick last year, played pretty decent. I'm not going to lie. Um, he definitely played better than I thought he was. I thought the Texans were going to have like literally win no games last year. So yeah. the fact that they, they were able to p- uh, pick up a few wins, um, obviously they're picking third overall for a reason, but um, you know, it seems like right now they're comfortable with going with uh, Davis Mills uh, as their quarterback, at least for the interim. And I, I, I agree with that. I don't think that, they have so I think that they have so many holes on their roster right now. Investing a big pick in a or a top pick in a quarterback, I just don't think is a smart move. I think that yeah. there's a bit of an un, a bit of an unknown factor with Davis Mills. Let's give him another year. Um, I think the uh, the biggest kind of stuff they need because when you have a bad football team, you could pretty much just spin the wheel and whatever position it comes up, you just take that guy. Um, I think offensive line, uh, you know, because you want to build kind of, at least in my opinion, and obviously I'm a little biased because my uh, my general manager, Joe Douglas, believes in the same philosophy, but you got to build from the trenches. You know, you got to yeah. build a solid foundation to protect your quarterback. They have Laramie Tunsil um, if they decide to keep him, which I don't know if Levy Smith listens to our show, but I definitely implore him to keep keep Laramie Tunsil. Um, they gave up a lot of picks for him beforehand. Um, and so they have a starting left tackle, but just hang on to him. Uh, Brandon Cooks as well. Let's just hang on to him. Because um, I know there have been some talks about Brandon Cooks uh, possibly getting traded. Um, and that still could happen. But I think, you know, at least in the first round, we need to look, uh, especially at the third overall pick, we need to look at the offensive line. Uh, so we could see like an Evan Neal, um, we have, uh, you know, I, I forget how to pronounce his name. Icky, um, and his last name, super, super hard. The, I think, he oh, plays I know you're talking about, I struggle with yeah, his name. Yeah, I think yeah. it's like Ike Okonwu or something along those lines. Yeah, exactly. But he's, uh, you know, between him and Evan Neal, um, you know, it's a pretty much toss up, but, uh, I think Evan Neal has slightly better pass protection, uh, than Icky does. I think Icky's a much uh, better in the in the run game than Evan Neal might be. Um, and then at 13, I think that's when it gets a little dicey, right? Because you're either going to have a, uh, someone that fell out of the top five, top 10, that could be very, if a Kyle Hamilton falls to 13, that could be very intriguing. Yeah. Um, because one, besides the Sean Watson, the other big, uh, loss for the Texans was losing Justin Reed. Justin yeah. Reed was a big one. Um, and cause Justin Reed was one of my favorites has been one of my favorite safeties for a long time. And yeah. I thought that he was, he's been super underrated down there in Houston and for whatever reason, JJ Watt, Deshaun Watson, Justin Reed, they didn't want to play in Houston anymore. And uh, they got out of there. And now the chiefs, uh, the chiefs got Justin Reed. So I think when you have, when you have such a bad team, you can pretty much go any which way. They have a lot of uh, draft capital in the first, you know, four uh, four rounds. Um, I'm not really too worried about them sixes and the seventh rounds. I think they're probably probably package those to get uh, to move up, you know, kind of mess around. Um, the other thing that I've been kind of hearing too is, what if Houston just trades down from three uh, to try to pick up some more some more picks? I, I don't think that's outside the realm especially if it's uh, just one or two picks down, they still feel like they can get the guy that they were going to get at three. 
So I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think Houston, uh, Houston definitely has some big moves. And the other thing that I wanted to ask you is realistically, what's, what is the ceiling for the Houston Texans after this draft class next year? What, what, what are we thinking that the Lovey Smith is going to be able to do with, uh, I mean, a really a bear covered. I mean, unless yeah. uh, they would really have to kill this draft to make me feel any better about their roster because their roster, I think they're starting running backs, Rex Burkhead. Well, they just signed Marlon Mack. They got Deshaun Hamilton from the Broncos. Um, you know, and I love Deshaun Hamilton, actually. I, I That was one one of the guys that kind of wanted the Broncos to hang on to. I, yeah. I didn't feel like he got enough. Uh, but you guys got a crazy wide receiver room, so I do get it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's uh, – it just looks pretty rough. So what do you what do you think about the Houston Texans? Where do you think they're going to go next year as far as how many wins? What do you think that ceiling looks like? Yeah, no, it's an interesting question. I think it all comes down to, like you were talking about earlier, with Davis Mills and uh, what he can do coming into his second year. And um, he definitely showed some flashes last year. He definitely showed growth throughout the year and played his best football in the end of the year, which is always a promising thing, especially when you have that little of a roster there. Um, you know, you still had Davey Culley as the coach, so you never know what change in that up is going to do. Um, but they're only going up in terms of talent. And like you said, they have so many draft picks now, um, but also so many options of what they could do. Uh, and they're at a point with their roster where they've just got – this gigantic contract off the books with Deshaun Watson. They might still have some dead money. I'm not positive on that, but at least for like this year or whatever. Um, but they're, you know, getting to the point where they're kind of opening back up and they can fully just go all in on a rebuild. Um, so it might be a situation where they want to trade back uh, and then collect some picks. And you don't even, like you said, you don't even have to trade out of the top 10, collect a, a second and a third you know, and that's good business right there. Uh, get some really talented players uh, to fill some of those holes on your roster at the moment uh, and start putting together a core uh, after losing those guys. You know, when you thought you had maybe something a little promising, uh, they got to what the divisional game in right. 2019 or whatever it was against the Chiefs and uh, almost beat them until they just completely choked it. But um yeah, so interesting times down in Houston, and it'll be interesting to see what Davis can, Mills can do um, and what he can lead that Texans team to. I For wins, I honestly, like for this next year, I have a hard time seeing them get above five. But, you know, other than Matt Ryan and the Colts, uh, and if Ryan Tannehill and the Titans can kind of get back to full strength, um, it's not like the most closed up division in the world either. You still have Trevor Lawrence and the fledgling Jaguars over there. So, um, you know, they, they have some room to do some damage. Uh, it'll be interesting for sure. Yeah. I think, um, the Deshaun Watson thing is really when Deshaun was on the Texans, honestly, I was cool with calling the Texans like, uh, random maybe borderline playoff team just because i believe in deshaun watson as a quarterback i think he's that talented that even with the bear cupboard that he had i I felt like he probably still could have uh pulled out nine ten wins maybe fought for a wild card but 
I'm going to have to agree with you. I think that uh, this team is going to be very bad next year. And I have a lot of friends that are Texans fans, so I do feel bad saying that. But, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be – I think I think that they're going to be fourth place in that division for sure. Um, and that's, that's with Jacksonville. I, I think that Jacksonville – um, besides overpaying Christian Kirk, I think that they've made, uh, I think they've made promising moves and Trevor Lawrence can only get better, especially with, uh, you know, bringing back his college, uh, his college running back, um, you know, the Torres ACL last year, he, he's getting him back. So oh, yeah. just, just like, um, you know, just like the Jets getting Carl Lawson back, that's almost like a brand new, a brand new pick in itself. Cause we didn't get to see anything of him at the NFL level. Um, so yeah, I do think it's going to be a rough time, but yeah, I definitely would see, I definitely see the Texans going offensive line somewhere, um, whether it's a guard or a tackle at three, if they don't trade down, even if they trade down, I, I think they still stay in the top, uh, stop, top seven. If they do still in that, um, offensive line kind of pick. And then at 13, if Kyle Hamilton's there, I, I think that that's where they go. I think they have to. They have to add a blue chip player on both sides of the of the ball, defense and uh, and offense. Because I mean, honestly, besides uh, Marlon Mack and um, Deshaun Hamilton, there really wasn't anyone they signed that was out of the ordinary. Um, I looked at all of their transaction uh, trans- transactions the last uh, last few days and going back to the beginning of free agency and they brought back some of their own guys on one, two year deals, some, you know, uh, fringe, uh, starters slash backup guys, you know, um, but otherwise they really haven't made any, um, splash plays. I think another thing that I would look for the Texans to do in, uh, the second or the third round is to try to solidify their secondary a little bit, uh, at least in the cornerback spot, because I think Desmond King, the second is going to be their starting corner. Uh, and I don't, I don't know how that's going to work out playing, uh, the quarterbacks they have to play in that division. So yeah, that's I, w- true. I would definitely, I would definitely look for them to fortify that secondary a bit, um, starting with the safety in the first round. And then hopefully, um, I mean, this draft is loaded with corners. I think you get a, I think you get a really good corner, um, you know, up into the third round almost. So. We'll just have to see how it plays out. But I, I am a big believer in Lovey Smith. I do think he's – I totally forgot that Lovey Smith is the head coach in, in Houston. I like. I literally had to look up because I know that homeboy got fired. Um, and, I mean, Pretty they cool. set him up. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why why they they did that to that poor guy. I feel so bad yeah. for him. I feel so, so bad for him. He just literally – they're like, we got to put something out there this year. Best of luck to you. And yeah. yeah, especially with all the Deshaun stuff that was happening, like, yeah, that dude really, he literally had to go do all those shitty press conferences and then they fire him after that. Like, oh man, it was terrible. It was, yeah. it was really rough. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it for Houston on, uh, for me. I'm looking forward to, I'm not sure which team I'm going to pick next year, uh, next week, but, it's probably probably going to be probably going to be someone with a lot of draft picks because it was really fun looking into Houston because I was looking at their all their messaging boards like from their little fans or whatever and yeah they're they're pretty much clamoring for anything and anything 
any sort of talent to be injected into this team, I think is going to be a good thing for Houston. So yeah, I guess we'll just see. And they pick right before the Jets. So I'm, uh, I'm a little bit more invested too, because depending on where they go is where we're going to go. Right. You're right. Yeah. Now they're, they're definitely an interesting team to watch for sure. And uh, now that that Deshaun Watson trades over with their, their arrow is only pointing up, you know, you talk about all those picks they have and, uh yeah that they'll be fun to watch maybe not necessarily this next year but it'll be fun to watch see how they start to build and add talent to that roster and it's almost like a, a reset to be honest with you um and so yeah uh so let's go ahead and move on uh my first team here a team that we did not cover when we talked about the AFC West uh kind of neglected them just a little bit uh the Los Angeles Chargers so very interesting things going down there in L.A. Uh, obviously, you just have the Rams uh, winning a Super Bowl, kind of cementing themselves as the leaders in the Battle of L.A., if that's what you want to call it. Um, but the Chargers still have a very talented team and a potential uh, you know, force, not even potential, a, a force in the NFL in Justin Herbert. Um, you know, going toe to toe in Patrick Holmes in his very first game as a starter. I mean, what other way to make an entrance, right? So it's like, uh, it all starts with that. And then you have their uh, head coach had his rookie uh, year last year, Brandon Staley. Dude just speaks gold. Gold falls out of his mouth every time he talks. Uh, haven't found a quote from him that I dislike yet. Um, so they've gotten some interesting things to look at coming into this draft. Uh, their biggest weaknesses last year that really just tore them apart and, uh, drove that playoff, uh, you know, run down a cliff was their run defense first and foremost, um, coming from both their inside defensive line and their linebackers. It just wasn't enough. Uh, they just were never able to stop. You look at, you know, those final plays of the chargers and Raiders game, uh, in overtime, the Raiders have the ball. They're slowly moving past the 50-yard line. Uh, and the very last play to set up the field goal to win it was a run that they just couldn't get tackled on. Uh, and a play where they could have gotten them behind the line of scrimmage, um, but their players just couldn't get it done. So, you know, that's their biggest thing that they need to fix this year. Um, another big thing is the lack of a speed threat on the offense. Um, you did draft, uh, Jalen Guyton, I believe it was last year. Uh, and then you also had, or no, Jalen Guyton wasn't last year, but he is a speed threat on the roster. And then, um, Palmer, Josh Palmer was drafted the pre a year previous showed some flashes. Uh, they have some interesting guys in that wide receiver room other than Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, who, uh, Mike Williams just got an extension as well this off season. Um, but neither of those guys give you that take the top off speed. Um, and that would really elevate, in my opinion, Justin Herbert's offense over there uh, and give the other guys a little bit more space to work as well. Um, and then the other thing that I would really say with them is just some running back depth behind Eckler. You know, Eckler's a do it all guy. Um, really can't be mad with just having him as a workhorse in your offense. However, he's always he, there's always a thing that he's a smaller guy and you do start to see him uh tire a little bit when he's got those heavy workloads and i think it would be very very helpful for their offense to get 
a uh, one-two punch going on with a draft pick or uh, maybe even a free agent that's still out there. Uh, as funny as it sounds, Melvin Gordon actually would be a really good fit as a one-two punch back with Eckler and the Chargers if he wanted to come on a cheap enough deal. Um, but that is certainly a big need for them right now. Um, so we can talk about some of their uh, departures, but then also additions that have come in and uh, uh, filled some of those needs as well. So departures-wise, uh, you have tight end Jared Cook, uh, played games for him last year, uh, did good things, but also had way too many drops. Um, you know, wasn't getting paid that much money, so you can't be too mad at, at it. Uh, give give you that veteran presence in the room, but it was time to move on. Um, and then they lose right tackle Brian Bulaga. That leaves an open spot uh, on their right tackle. So that becomes one of their biggest weaknesses and something that needs to be filled in the draft. Uh, Linval Joseph on the defensive line, Justin Jones on the defensive line, both guys that just weren't getting it done with the run. Uh, positive moves, in my opinion, to let them walk and uh, focus elsewhere. Uh, and then you lose uh, linebacker Uchenna Nwosu, as well as linebacker Kaiser White to the Eagles. Um, and again, both guys that just weren't getting it done for you. So, uh, And then additions-wise, a couple big players in Khalil Mack, obviously coming over from the Bears, uh, helps out that you know already tout or stout, I should say, uh, rush with uh, – the Watt brother, I keep wanting to say JJ, but it's or it's not the Watt brother. Oh my uh, gosh, Bosa, uh, Bosa, Joey Bosa. Yeah, thank you. My brain was not working for half a second there. I was like, it's one of the brothers in the NFL. Yeah, Joey Bosa right. um, helps out that ed- edge attack there. That's going to be just ridiculous to have to face for opposing teams. Uh, then they add cornerback JC Jackson, cements an already pretty good uh, defensive back room. And then you start to fill in that defensive line. You get Sebastian Joseph Day, as well as Austin Johnson, uh, starts to help with some of that run defense uh, woes, but you still probably want to add one, at least in the draft there in that defensive line. Um, To replace Jared Cook, they bring in Gerald Everett from the Seahawks. Not a bad pickup at all, but maybe a little bit over or underwhelming. Uh, And then the biggest pickup of their offseason, long snapper Josh Harris biggest player. <laughs> so definitely some big additions for them. Definitely f- started to fill in some of those needs. Uh, you look at the run defense there, fill in some of the uh, defensive line, but uh, you still need a right tackle. Uh, you still need some sort of speed threat on the offense and you could still really use a running back. Um, oh, and they also, I missed him as well. They lost cornerback Chris Harris Jr., which was their slot. Um, so you don't really have anybody filling that role at the moment either. I didn't uh, know they, they lost Chris Harris. Yeah, I think he's still one of those players that he could end up signing back with them on a cheap deal, depending on where his market's at. Um, but as of now, he's not resigned with them. So uh, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, honestly, Chris Harris Jr. is one of those players that uh, prior to the Broncos picking up Kwan Williams, there's kind of a little campaign to bring him back on a cheap deal and fill our slot, but uh, I'm sure he'll find his spot. There's always a spot for those veterans. Uh, they can still play a little bit of that uh, all-important slot position. Um, so the Chargers are coming into the draft with 10 picks, 
and their first two at 17 and then all the way at 79 in the third round. Um, and they don't have a second rounder. They could trade back up with some of those 10 picks. That's the nice thing about having so many darts to throw at the board is uh, you can do whatever you want. So if you want to get back into a very, very, very talented second round with some of those later round picks, uh, you can certainly do that. Uh, or you can trade back and collect even more. Um, so we can go through their needs now and then just going to go ahead and suggest one or two players that I like uh, from each position. Uh, you know, it, it always depends on how the board falls, you know, what they use their picks for and where they end up picking those positions at. Um, but just throw some names out there. So uh, for right tackle, I really like Charles Cross out of Mississippi State, as well as Trevor Penning out of Northern Iowa. Uh, Trevor Penning, one of those guys that's kind of been a media darling just because he's, you know, very powerful, very uh, run through your face, able to just throw a man, that kind of offensive tackle um, could be very, very good in the league. Uh, and then both of those guys, uh, somebody that you won't necessarily have to be um, in the top 10 or top 15 to get necessarily for that right tackle spot, which is probably going to be. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see at least one or two tackles off of the board um, in the top 10 there. So, um, you know, interesting guys there for wide receiver. Uh, you look at Chris Olave, Jamison Williams at Alabama, and then Kyle Phillips at a UCLA, uh, Chris Olave uh, at a Ohio state. And then Jamison Williams, those guys are both uh, first round guys. If you're going for them, that's going to be your top pick. You may even have to trade up from 17, um, but both guys are that are going to transform that offense and really give uh, Justin Herbert uh, the weapons that he needs to just tear it up. I mean, he's already tearing it up, but I personally, I think giving him a threat that takes the safeties off and uh, takes the top off the defense and just gives, you know, the guys that you're paying $20 million a year to and Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, even more space to work with and even more yard after catch room, nothing but good things can come with can come from that. So, uh, and then Kyle Absolutely. Phillips is a slot guy that maybe you could sneak in and get in the second or third round. Um, really interesting player, got a lot of speed, uh, and yeah, all, any of those guys would be nice in a really talented wide receiver class. Um, for right guard, you have a couple guys, Dylan Parham out of Memphis, uh, and then Kenyon Green out of Texas A&M. Both of these guys had experience playing both guard and tackle. Um, so those are also interesting options for them in some of the later rounds or mid rounds, like second, third, fourth, um, and thinking about players that could potentially fill your role or your hole in either right guard or right tackle. Um, and then in inside linebacker, two guys that I really like Brian Asamoah out of Oklahoma and Chad Muma out of Wyoming. Uh, Asamoah gives you a lot of speed, a lot of energy uh, and just a really fun player to watch. Uh, Chad Muma, a little bit more size, a little more prototypical of, of a linebacker out of Wyoming. Um, I believe he was a four-year starter, so it has a lot of time under his belt. Um, and, yeah, both guys that you could plug and play and uh, really help out that run defense. Uh, for a tight end, 
you did add Gerald Everett, in my opinion. I think that's still a need because Gerald Everett is not really a first option, um, especially for a quarterback like uh, Justin Herbert. You want to get him, if you can, an actual weapon weapon. Um, And that's where I think either Jelani Woods out of Virginia or, bear with me, Chig Okonkwu out of Maryland uh, would really come in handy. Both of those guys, athletic. Both of those guys play with a lot of energy. They can catch the ball. Uh, Okonkwu in particular blocks very, very well. Um, And, yeah, those those guys would be great, great ads for that offense. And then – on the inside defensive line, you did add Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Johnson. So that shores up some of your worries, um, but you still would want to look for some sort of long-term solution. Um, and I think that's something that could be had uh, in the later rounds, especially in this draft uh, that's very, very talented on the defensive line. A um, couple guys there that I like in Jordan Davis, going to be a higher round pick out of Georgia. Uh, big defensive tackle, really just going to be that um, giant black hole right in the center of your defense that just eats up blocks and uh, lets the linebackers do their work in the run game. And then Thomas Booker out of Stanford, um, a guy that's training uh, or getting a lot of traction uh, in draft circles. So he may not fall quite as far as, you know, you cross your fingers for, um, but he's probably going to be in the second or third round. Uh, super smart guy, knows the game of football, uh, really excited to see where he lands, but I think he's a really good fit for this Chargers team on that defensive line. Uh, sit behind Sebastian Joseph Day uh, on Austin Johnson, and uh, he would be a force for sure if they let him develop and uh, get in there. And then for running back depth, a couple guys I really like. Uh, Kenneth Walker the third out of Michigan State. He's, again, probably going to be a high pick. I don't think that that's necessarily what they should use a high pick on. Um, but when you watch Kenneth Walker III, uh, you kind of throw caution to the wind a little bit, and you're like, dang, that's a good player. So, And right. Pierre Strong Jr. could be had a little bit later out of South Dakota State. Or South Dakota State. Um, he is a smaller back like Eckler. He's got speed. He's got elusiveness. Um, and normally when you're looking for a one-two punch – you when you look at Eckler, even though he is a do-it-all back and has a lot of that bruiser mentality to him, despite being a small guy, um, you would probably look at it and say, okay, we want a bruiser to complement his speed. Um, but I do think that Pierre Strong Jr. is different enough from Eckler in the sense that uh, he's just got a different uh, level of speed and a different level of agility, and he's a lot more of an outside run uh, uh, running back. And, uh, I think you'd be a really good fit in that running back room with Eckler. So a lot of different needs for the chargers, um, but really only a few things that they need to get filled up to make a a serious run in a very competitive AFC West. Uh, you know, they filled in a lot of what they needed to do with free agency, getting Sebastian Joseph day, getting Austin Johnson, getting JC Jackson. That certainly, softens the blow of some of the guys you saw leave. Um, if they can get that right tackle spot shored up, uh, maybe get a couple depth guys in the uh, interior offensive line and then pick up a couple more guys on that defensive line and like a linebacker, you know, the Chargers are in good, good, good shape coming up here. 
Yeah, dude, I agree. I think uh, I think you hit it spot on. I think the I would love I would love uh, Trevor Penning to go to the Chargers. I think that's I think I think Penning is uh, super underrated. I think obviously through this uh, you know the combine and Senior Bowls and stuff, uh, he his name is definitely uh, risen for sure. Um, cause yeah, I've seen tape on him and dude is just throwing guys around. Like he is a monster. And the minute you said a speed threat, the first person I thought of was Jameson Williams. First, yeah. first person. And exactly what you said, giving, uh, Justin Herbert, a guy that could take the top off. It's, I mean, I, we talked about it when, um, we covered the AFC West a little bit. I think the chargers, are a, a really dangerous team. I think that yeah. I think they really can um I think they really can make a run, especially I mean I I'm so proud of Justin Herbert cuz I've been a Justin Herbert guy since day 1 uh since he was coming out of Oregon. I just had a good feeling about him. So love that uh Herbie is playing to my expectations. Yeah. Uh yeah, you give him a solid right tackle. You give him someone along the lines of Olave or Jameson Williams, and yeah, I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be problems for the AFC West. And then yeah, combining um, Khalil Mack and Bosa is just, and then you put JC Jackson on the back end, and um, you know just to your point, you know we were talking about uh, this off the air. You know Brandon Staley said it himself. You know he's. Um, He's he tried to gear up that defense a little bit. So I think add in a Jordan Davis to uh especially Jordan Davis. He is the inside uh defensive lineman that I think of when I think of a run stopper. Dude is enormous. So yeah, yeah getting getting him to plug in the middle of that uh defensive line to help uh Derwin James and uh Bosa and Khalil Mack and JC Jackson. It's, Man, the the LA Chargers very quickly, very quickly might overtake that top spot in LA. They might, they might even take the top spot in the AFC West. If I'm being honest with you, it's yeah, very, that's very a, that's a tough team. That's a tough team. Yeah, no, it definitely is. It's a tough division, but uh, the Chargers are up to the task. And you see too many people right now, I feel like writing off the chargers because, Oh, they're the chargers and they always choke and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, if you watch the games last year, you know how good uh, that uh, Herbert was. And just like, you know, he's putting Mahomes even to a, uh, a test as far as, you know, people are calling the next goat. I mean, you look at some of the things Herbert has done and people will say he hasn't made the playoffs yet, but I'm like, he hasn't had that defense, like even just a relatively okay defense. It's just been so awful, but the magic that he makes happen is crazy. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, not only this next year, but the upcoming decade plus of football uh, that the Los Angeles Chargers is going to get out of Justin Herbert. And um, the best time to build around him is right now. And, they're certainly doing everything they can to uh, go into that window as, as strong a uh, roster as they, they can be. So um, I suppose we can go ahead and talk about the New York Jets. Yes, perfect. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the, the wonderful lead-in and the wonderful intro to the New York Jets. So 
first and foremost, like we said, um, we were going to get into the Solomon Thomas thing a little bit, and I'll just hit on it real, real quick because I really did like this move from the Jets, um, especially seeing how, you know, like we talked about, he was a top three pick in the 2017 draft, um, went to the San Francisco 49ers. He did tear his ACL uh, uh, out in 2018. Um, and then he went to, he played last year with the Raiders. It was just, like you said, is pretty much best year. Um, he had four and a half sacks for the Raiders last year on a nice uh, defensive line with uh, Max Crosby and all the other guys that uh, Las Vegas has out there. Uh, like we said, he's going to add a nice rotational piece on a young, hungry defensive line. And the biggest thing that I love about this is that he was uh, under Robert Sala for four years in France in San Francisco. Four years, four seasons of uh, his now head coach watching him, seeing how he plays, you know, seeing the good and the bad things about Solomon Thomas. And um, yeah, I think Robert Sala is going to know exactly how to use this guy. I think Sala is going to know, uh, you know, when he needs to push him, when he doesn't need to push him. Uh, yeah. I saw in Solomon Thomas's uh, uh, press conference with the Jets, his introductory press conference with the Jets, that he talked about just that he believes in this coaching staff and he believes in what we're building here. And that's, that's half the battle right there. When you get guys that believe in your coaching staff and believe in your head coach. And um, I, I don't know how many Robert Sala press conferences you've seen, but uh, I employ anybody to go out and watch a Robert Sala press conference, because if there's ever a man that you want to play football for is Robert Sala, because yes. he just, he just knows how to talk to grown men. He knows how to treat these guys. He knows how to motivate them. And there's one thing from a New York Jets fan that watched every single game last year. We never stopped playing hard. We never stopped playing hard. And yeah. that's – if you go back and look at the tape, I mean, there's there's a lot of losses for sure, but there's a lot of fight in that team, especially on the defensive side. Um, and then after uh, after Solomon Thomas, I mean, like uh, like we said, we were just going to buckle down, start getting into draft mode. Um, Joe Douglas had a press conference uh, earlier uh, this last week talking about some of the things that uh, he wants to see. And I think he was hinting at drafting an edge guy with our top pick, which I, the Jets have needed a truly dominant edge guy since Jonathan Abraham left. Um, and I think that we'll finally be able to address that in this upcoming draft. Um, round one, we got the fourth and 10th pick. Uh, we got that 10th pick from Seattle in the Jamal, uh, Jamal Adams trade, which shout out to Seattle for taking Jamal Adams. Um, round two, we got the 30, uh, 35th and the 38th pick round three. We have the 69th pick. Nice. Uh, round four, we have 111 and 117. And then round five to close out our draft, we have 146 and 163. So we have tons, tons, tons of great picks, uh, in the top half of the draft there. And I really do see the jets, uh, taking an edge guy with, with, that that fourth overall pick and that's going to be whoever pretty much drops you know that's either going to be Aiden Hutchinson which a lot of people are projecting him going to the Lions um that's going to be Kayvon Thividu uh, his last name is is rough for me to say um yeah from out, out of Oregon um we have him as an edge guy 
Uh, and then, I mean, honestly, I think after that, we have to go wide receiver. So I would uh, – a, a couple of the guys that I like, uh, Traylon Burks out of uh, Arkansas. Love Traylon Burks. Big body wide receiver with tons of speed. Um, also another guy that the Chargers could look uh, to get as well, depending on where they have him on the board. Um, yeah. my, my personal favorite is Drake London. And then we have yeah. Garrett Wilson as well. Um, I love I love Garrett Wilson. I love Drake London. Uh, the only thing I have to kind of say about uh, both those guys, Drake London and Garrett Wilson, uh, Drake London has a little bit of a possible separation issue, but that could just be USC's offense, and it might get better as he gets to the NFL with his route running. Um, and then Garrett Wilson is by far the best route runner of the top guys. Uh, he has the best body control. But the thing about Garrett Wilson that kind of worries me is he doesn't necessarily have a truly dominant physical trait that you see from these other uh, from these other guys. You know, Traylon Burks has this elite size and elite speed. Um, and, you know, Garrett Wilson just doesn't necessarily have those things. But, you know, you just have to – it depends on what kind of wide receiver you're looking for. Are you looking for this big dominant wide receiver or you're looking – uh, for a guy that's going to for sure go out there and route some people up and catch the ball. Uh, I think Garrett Wilson is that guy for sure. It just kinda, it's just kind of – it's kind of going to be depending on what Joe Douglas and Robert Sala think that, um, that's going to pair up best with Zach Wilson. Uh, I, I know the other thing that Joe talked about for sure was still the possibility of trading for a number one wide receiver. Um, he's pretty much said like – Anybody that's there with the right price, we're willing to look into. Obviously, we just saw uh, a swing and miss at Tyreek Hill. Um, we talked about it last week. A.J. Brown still is a possibility. The The rumors still haven't died down. And I guess a big part of the rumors that are that, that are um, kind of keeping this noise going is because that that draft class was loaded with studded wide receivers. And the draft um, – I'm sorry, the wide receiver market just got reset by Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill. So a lot of these guys, you know, aren't uh, aren't necessarily going to be affordable anymore for some of these teams. So they're looking to possibly move some of these guys. And that's where I was confused because I didn't know why randomly A.J. Brown rumors were happening. But now it's starting to make sense. So A.J. Brown, still someone that could, um, you know, possibly become a Jet. D.K. Metcalf, I heard, is still off – off the boards, but they're still um, looking out just in case something last minute wants to happen. And the new one, uh, Debo Samuel. I heard that the Jets, uh, the Jets are looking out at Debo because um, oh, Debo is also, yeah. And that would be that's my personal favorite because Debo is just he's he's one of those offensive weapon type of guys. You just yeah, he's just a ball player, man. You just put him out there and he'll, he just does the rest. So. I'm really looking for some of those things. Um, and then uh, kind of getting out of the first round, um, I pretty much am hoping that the Jets kind of uh, fill that safety role. Um, you know, maybe maybe another inside linebacker. Uh, like we talked about last week, a weak side linebacker would, uh, would be real nice to pair alongside um, C.J. Mosley and uh, Quincy Williams, Quinnen's brother. Um but otherwise, I mean, I'm really excited to see how, uh, you know, because I, I know we still got some pro days coming up and um, 
you know, obviously we have the draft here at the end of the month. So I'm really excited to see the last few, few details that kind of propel guys or uh, drop, you know, drop them in this draft class. But yeah, I definitely think as far as our top picks, we'll definitely be looking at a wide receiver, uh, an edge rusher. Hopefully we'll get a linebacker. Um, and then, yeah, if we could just get guys that can kind of come in and mesh with our last year's draft picks, and and that's always the goal, right? We want we want guys to come in and and kind of buy into the system and you know just mesh right in and play right in. But with uh, I mean, everyone is getting a whole a whole year of experience. Our our whole coaching staff was new last year, including a brand new head coach, Robert Sala, coaching for the first time. You know, so he's going to have a whole year of experience. Everyone on the coaching staff, uh, our offensive coordinator was a first-time offensive coordinator, um, you know, defensive coordinator, first-time defensive coordinator. Our tight ends coach, coach was the head coach in the senior bowl this year um, because the Jets were um, selected to coach the national team, I believe. Um, and so we got, we got first-hand look at a lot of these seniors that are coming out of the draft, um, including a lot of, a lot of the tight ends, which I, I, I'm still down to take take any of those tight ends, um, you know, Trey McBride, uh, yeah. any of them. But obviously, you know, our tight end room is a, a bit more solid than it was uh, when we, uh, you know, when we first started looking at this uh, pre-draft for the Jets. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a wide receiver. I think we're going to have to look at some edge guys. And I'm just hoping, if I'm being honest with you, I'm hoping Aiden Hutchinson somehow drops that far, but – I'll be okay with whatever edge guy we get. Um, even Karloftis, Karloftis would be really nice at that spot too. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of interested to see where Traylon Burks kind of falls because I've, um, I have a, I've seen a lot of guys be really high on him. I've seen guys be a little bit lower on him. Um, but yeah, I think Drake London's probably my favorite wide receiver uh, coming out this year. So I'm definitely, I'm definitely hoping to be. Uh, to be seeing his name called at number 10. Absolutely. Yeah. There's so many good players to pick from. Uh, I definitely like Carl Loftus for sure. He's one of my favorites. And uh, one of the things that uh, talking about the jets stood out to me as well, uh, talking about the Solomon Thomas signing and um, you know, his previous relationship with Robert Sala with the 49ers. Yeah. If people had questions about Solomon Thomas and, uh, whether or not, you know, he, you should feel concerned about, uh, I guess, his uh, what he's going to give you based on the fact that he really hasn't lived up to the expectations. You know, to me, that sounds like proof right there is you have the defensive coordinator of a team who drafted him, uh, who, you know, sh- shared the initial uh, I guess I don't want to call it disappointment, but just like him not living up to the expectations. And then you have Robert Sala bringing him over to his new team in the jets. Um, you know, to me, that screams, I believe in this guy. I believe that what he has can be salvaged. He's got the talent. He's on his way. He's been improving, uh, you know, his years in the league. Um, so that's an exciting signing uh, hearing about you or hearing you talk about that. And, uh, really just Robert Sala in general. Uh, talk about with the Chargers and Brandon Staley, but Robert Sala is one of those really exciting, uh, you know, new coaches in the league that are just getting their start. But 
uh, I think are going to have really good long careers in this league. And I hope that Robert Sala is the one to uh, bring the Jets back into solid relevance. And that would be so much fun. He's such a passionate coach. Uh, and I feel like he just embodies the Jets and that hardworking mentality. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can't say enough. Um, I mean, I've been, I've been a Jets fan since Herm Edwards was our head coach, you know? So, oh, yeah. uh, I, I mean, Herm, I've seen Eric Mangini. I've Rex, obviously, um, you know, so I, I, I've been through it all. And I've never believed in a um, – a front office staff like I believe in Joe Douglas. I've never believed in a head coach more than I believe in Robert Sala. So yeah. Um and I mean, you know, I love to see uh I love to see I love to see brown people win. You know, Robert Sala is the yeah. first Muslim uh Muslim American uh head coach in NFL. Uh love to see that. Love to see him love go back home it. in New York. Love to see it. Love to see it. And I'm just hoping that we uh we nail this draft out and um he gets some guys that he can uh he can work with put his put his put his paws on and you know develop them and really um if we win more than 6 games this year I'm I'm partying like it's the Super Bowl like 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 I was saying I uh I've seen from Herm Edwards to Eric Mangini to Rex Ryan and where Robert Sala and Joe Douglas have started their uh their tenure uh with the New York Jets they just they've given us a, a lot of promises Jets fans because not only are they leaders um but they have the experience to back it up you know Joe Douglas was with Baltimore and with Philadelphia those are two especially the Philly I mean Philly's still kind of doing their thing right now they made the playoffs last year and I think Philadelphia has three first round picks this year themselves so you know Philadelphia and the Baltimore background for Joe Douglas uh, are wonderful he's got that ring with the Eagles as well um, and then yeah Robert Sala is a uh, He's a player's coach in, in, in all the good ways that maybe Rex Ryan wasn't. Rex Ryan was a player's coach uh, in a lot of ways, and the, and the players love to play for him. But sometimes he'd, you know, kind of get on the mic and do some crazy interview stuff and kind of make that bulletin board material where Robert Sala doesn't do that. Robert Sala just kind of goes in and handles his work. And, um, you know, our motto last year for the Jets uh, from Robert Sala himself was all gas, no breaks. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's going to be the same same motto going going forward as long as Robert Sala is our uh, is our head coach because he really embodies that. He really gets out there and works. Um, I mean, there's clips of Robert Sala running running the stadium stairs to work out just like his guys do. Nice. So, yeah, I just I love Robert Sala. If if I get a Robert Sala jersey, I get a Robert Sala jersey. Right. No, me too. Me too. Um, okay, so I, I suppose that does it for the Jets, and they have, have a ton of stuff going on. They are, I, to me, I liken the Jets to uh, the Lions right now, to be honest with you. They remind me of, well, the Lions, I would say, actually have less uh, like upside at the moment roster-wise, but in terms of them being an uh, up-and-coming team with a relatively new head coach, uh, who you can tell just exudes energy, exudes love for the game, um, and exudes want to win. And it, I feel like are uh, in the beginnings of building a winning culture uh, in a culture that has previously not really had that, at least recently. Um, and so, you know, it's really interesting to see what's going on over there. 
uh, between Joe Douglas and Robert Sala and the way that they're leading that franchise. Um, and then Zach Wilson balling out, you know, he's still young, um, but the more pieces that get fit around him, it's going to make his life easier and his uh, growth easier. Um, and he's only going to keep getting better. Uh, like you mentioned, you like to see him getting better over the season as well as through a injury coming back from an injury. Uh, I, I want to say it was like a knee sprain or something along those lines, right? Like an MCL sprain. Yeah, it was an MCL sprain. Um, and I, I think he missed four or five games. Um, I want to, I want to say it's closer to four. Um, but yeah, I mean, Zach came back and did his thing. And just a quick note on Zach one, this whole off season, he's literally just been on uh, Robert Sala called it a tour. He's just been meeting with all of his guys and working out with them this whole off season. Like oh, wow. for a, like you just you just have to love that. Like yeah, and 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 Mark Sanchez did a similar thing. He had uh, his Jets West camp where he brought everybody out to the Uf, uh, USC's facilities, and um, you know he would run routes and. Uh, throw the ball with his uh, receivers down there in Southern California. But Zach Wilson going out to where his guys are and meeting up and throwing the ball. I mean, there's pictures of him and Braxton Berrios buddying up, you know, like uh, I just, I love everything that that's happening with the Jets right now. I just, I love it. And even more so next week, I'll probably dive a little bit more into uh, some second day picks um, that I think that the Jets could make. Um, but yeah, I, everything right now, as far as the Jets wise is, is definitely looking up. And I agree with your point with the Lions because, uh, yeah, Motor City Dan Campbell is the man for sure. I, yes. I love Dan Campbell. The, I think the only difference about Dan Campbell, uh, I almost even got offended when you said that we were, we're close to the Lions because I think we have so <laughs> much more talent than the Lions do. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I almost got offended, but I'll, 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 I'll save it. I'll save uh, being offended for later. Um, <laughs> but the thing about the lions and with uh, Dan Campbell is I, I just, I don't know, man. I just think Dan Campbell reminds me of that, of that Rex Ryan mold a little bit more. And it's, it's good in some places and it's bad in other places. The one thing I'll say about the lions is that they did not stop fighting either. They fought yeah. and they played. They played for that man, um, literally in meaningless games, meaningless, meaningless games. And they totally destroyed uh, an awesome parlay that I had by uh, beating the Arizona Cardinals in like week ten last year. So, oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, Dude, no, yeah, I, I agree with you, and I think that that's kind of uh, where I've been with Dan Campbell. Is like you love to see the passion and you love to see that excitement for the game of football and. Um, wanting to go all in like that, but then sometimes it can kind of come off as uh, almost cheesy in a sense um, if it's not backed up. Um, and you know, to your point, kind of with Rex Ryan, but um, like you said, throughout the season, the fact that they were not having a good season because, to your point, um, with that comparison, the Jets have just so much more talent than the Lions did, especially this past year. Uh, you know, they were scraping by on a Texans level roster um, out there with Jared Goff and uh, to see the sheer just relief and excitement. Like if you go back and look up their first win of the year against the Vikings and the way that after throwing the uh, game winning touchdown 
that uh, Jared Goff just sprints over to Dan Campbell and they just share like such a happy, passionate hug over getting their first win of the season. It was like week 12 or 13 or something like that, you know, and it's like, those are the moments that like, even though, you know, it's kind of easy to chuckle a little bit and you're like, it's their first win in 13 games or whatever, they're not doing good, but to see the passion with which their players are still playing at that point and how desperately they want to win not only for themselves, but probably for him too. um, You know, it it excites you to see. um, And I think that uh, that energy I see a lot of that in Robert Sala, but Robert Sala, like I never had a doubt with him. Uh, like you were talking about kind of with that Rex Ryan comparison where like, sometimes it comes off as cheesy, that energy. I never had a doubt with Robert Sala. Um, he just seems so genuine in the way that he comes off with that. And that he's just a guy that just like, you know, loves to grind his nose, loves to just put the work in and, uh, loves to win and loves just loves all that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no way to quantify it other than I I never doubted him. But uh, yeah, both very exciting coaches, very exciting teams. The Jets farther along in their building process than the Lions certainly, um, but exciting times in the league for sure. Um, and so I guess with that, uh, we will go ahead and move on to the Denver Broncos uh, and. So plenty of interesting things going on in Denver last couple of years. Uh, we have really had a roster that you could look at and say, it's a quarterback away, you know, a quarterback away from what, whether that's playoff contention for the first time in half a decade, whether that's actually competing for a Super Bowl um, in a raw area division that was already stacked for the last couple of years, dealing with just Patrick Mahomes. Um, and then you see the rise of Justin Herbert and Derek Carr and the Raiders kind of making a comeback um, and certain to uh, compete more and more. Um, and then adding a lot of talent this off season here too, as well. Um, so an interesting division landscape, um, but the biggest weakness for the Broncos last year, obviously quarterback. Uh, and then second big, biggest weakness, you look at getting pressure on the QB and something that very much became apparent after the departure of Von Miller um, before the uh, midseason trade deadline and uh, this past last year. And, um, you know, at this point, you're looking at uh, Bradley Chubb. And uh, at the time, we had Malik Reed. Uh, and then as we start to talk about our additions here, starting to shore up some of those issues. Um, but the other biggest issue we faced last year. Uh, just like the Chargers was our run defense. Um, at times we could be semi-dominant, um, but and then at other times, especially when our inside linebacker depth, we lost Alexander ja- uh, jo- Johnson and uh, Josie Jewell, both of our uh, starting inside linebackers, uh, within, I think, the first four or five weeks of the season, both to pectoral tears. Um, and so we were traded for Kenny Young over from the Rams, trying to shore up that position all throughout the season. Uh, but our run defense just took a huge hit from it. Um, and then we dealt with some defensive line injuries as well. Um, but, you know, huge issue there, something you want to get fixed up. Uh, this offseason, we start to look at some of the players that departed from the Broncos. Uh, you look at Drew Locke, 
Teddy Bridgewater, Melvin Gordon, Noah Fant, the tight end, Shelby Harris from the defensive line, Bryce Callahan, our starting slot cornerback, uh, Kyle Fuller, who had come over from the Bears uh, on a uh, – he had one year left on his deal. Um, and then Kareem Jackson, our safety for the last couple of years, alongside Justin Simmons. Um, but you start to look at some of the additions and some of those holes that uh, we were start, starting to look at and that also have been uh, opened up by the departures got filled a little bit. So obviously – First and foremost, Russell Wilson. We've already talked about him uh, in our AFC Re- uh, West recap, as well as the first episode. Um, big topic here in Denver, obviously. You finally have the quarterback. Everybody says the roster is a quarterback away. It's a quarterback away. Now you have the quarterback. You got to go out and prove it. Um, but also got to shore up some of those holes and uh, do our best to make this a, a roster that can compete in an even stronger AFC West. So, you go out and get uh, Randy Gregory to fill up the edge, uh, start to replace Vaughn Miller a little bit there. Um, and then on the defensive line, after losing Shelby Harris, uh, you go and get DJ Jones from the 49ers. Huge, huge pickup there. That should help both the run defense as well as our uh, pass rush as well. Uh, and then for to replace uh, Bryce Callahan in the slot, you get Quan Williams over from the 49ers as well. Another good young player, um, another player from the 49ers, offensive lineman Tom Compton, uh, who's going to compete with another pickup, Billy Turner, as well as some in-house guys uh, for the right tackle spot. And then uh, tight end Eric Tomlinson coming over from the Ravens. He's a blocking guy. Um, he's going to be huge for us in the new running game that Nathaniel Hackett wants to establish here. Um, and really is basically just another smaller tackle out there to help out in that running game. Um, and then you also pick up inside linebacker Alex Singleton from the Eagles. Uh, this guy, interesting, he's a special teams ace. Um, it looks like right now, unless you, the Broncos draft somebody, um, he, he looks to be the inside linebacker starter uh, alongside Josie Jewell, who was re-signed by the Broncos this offseason. Um, and Josie Jewell, you know, we know he's got that covered. He started to look really good last year before his injury. Uh, Alex Singleton, despite leading the Eagles twice, uh, two separate times in his career, uh, over there in Philadelphia so far, I'm a little bit concerned that he's, he looks to be the projected starter, um, considering he's just in the minutes he's had as a, uh, starter, he has not been, uh, you know, blowing anyone away, um, but he thrives on special teams, which is initially where I thought he would be more um, utilized with that pickup. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if that's something that the Broncos want to pick up in the draft, which I certainly think that they should. Um, but to get into that a little bit, uh, the Broncos, even though they traded – uh, I think three or four picks away in the Russell Wilson draft, along with three players. Um, they're coming into this draft with eight different picks. And our very first pick is in the second round at number 64. Um, but we still have three different picks in the top 100. Uh, so you got a lot of value there. You got a lot of options. You can trade back. You could trade forward. Um, this is the type of draft where uh, a lot of the needs that, 
this roster looks at in terms of offensive line, defensive line, um, edge players, you know, even cornerbacks a little bit, very deep draft for a lot of those positions. And so something where uh, George Payton, who we know likes to have, uh, you know, he like really likes that term. He likes to have a lot of uh, uh, pins to throw at the board. And it's like, he could do uh, anything and I could very much see him just trying to amass fourth, fifth, sixth round picks and just going ham. And he's like, well, you know, at least a few of them will hit. <laughs> he has a good, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, and so far so good on his last year, he has a good track record, uh, had a couple players that he picked late um, really come out and shine in their first year. Um, when they were needed due to injury and things like that and um, show some potential out of players that, uh, you know, normally you don't expect that out of coming out of the sixth, uh, seventh, fifth round or whatever it is, uh, at least in their first year. Um, But so a lot of interesting things that they can do. Uh, We can take a look at their needs and then some players that I like. Um, First and foremost, right tackle. Uh, you do have a few people or a few different players that are going to be competing for that spot. Uh, Calvin Anderson in-house, he's been the swing tackle for the last couple of years. Um, and then Billy Turner and Tom Compton, who we talked about in the additions. Uh, you know, so you do have three guys that are going to go at it for that. I would still like them to see them add because I think none of those guys are uh, realistic long-term starters. Um, and for such an important position, uh, I think that that should still be uh, one of, if not the highest need uh, for the Denver Broncos. A uh, couple guys I like, you talked about them a little bit earlier. Uh, going to try this again, but I'm going to put it. Ikem Ekonwu, Ekwanu, I'm so sorry, uh, out of NC State. Very, very physical player, ridiculously athletic. He is a joy to watch. Honestly, um, and he's he's got some things he needs to clean up in the league, but he's one of those players that he's so just ungodly athletic that he can make up for a lot of um, not necessarily perfect technique things um, that can get cleaned up over time in the league, uh, but he can still get some success. Uh, another guy I really like that the Broncos have uh, already officially reached out for a visit for, um, Abraham Lucas out of Washington State. Uh, he was a four-year starter, got a lot of experience. Uh, and then Darian Kennard out of Kentucky is another interesting option. Uh, three-year starter there, uh, very physical guy as well. And then we look at the edge group. Uh, David Ojabo is my first pick. You know, somebody maybe is, uh, when you look at our picks, uh, starting in the second round, you're like, uh, don't know if you can get Ojabu. Ojabu, oh my gosh, Ojabo, that late uh, might be somebody that you have to trade up into, whether it's the early second or the late first, if he even drops that far. Uh, but we've seen stranger things happen on draft day, especially with his Achilles injury. Um, I'll, I'll find it really interesting to see if he starts to drop, but I think that there's a lot of different teams that are going to be watching the same thing and want to snag him up a little bit earlier than maybe the Broncos will be willing to. Uh, but if they could manage to pick up Ojabo, I think that that would be a fantastic uh, first pick of the draft, even if you have to trade up a little bit for him. Uh, another guy I really like, Nick Bonito out of Oklahoma. A uh, lot of energy, 
plays fast. Uh, very interesting guy there. And then Boye Mafe out of Minnesota. Uh, he wrecked Auburn a couple times, the college team I root for. Um, so I'm intimately familiar with him, but I would like him a lot more <laughs> in blue and orange. Um, and then on the inside, inside defensive line, a couple guys I really like. Uh, I mentioned Thomas Booker out of Stanford uh, in the Chargers section. Another guy that I think would be great with the Denver Broncos. Uh, super intelligent, loves the game, loves to learn about the game. I uh, can't speak highly enough about Thomas Booker and how much I want him to be a Denver Bronco, but uh, there'll be a lot of teams that want him to be on their team come draft day. So uh, we'll see how far he even makes it in the draft. And uh, even though he's projected to be somebody that could be available for the Denver Broncos, uh, you know, he could go earlier than some people are thinking. Uh, and then another guy is Travis Jones out of UConn. Uh, again, maybe somebody that's a little bit too high on the board for the Denver Broncos, but, uh, you know, somebody just you can't pass up if there was any chance of getting him. Uh, you look at cornerback and then slot cornerback. You did pick up Quan Williams. Uh, I believe he's 27 or 28, so he's not, uh, you know, getting old yet. Uh, he's on a three-year deal. Um, but, again, it's kind of one of those things where uh, with the right tackle position, you have guys in there that you think might be able to fill that position for now, uh, but you would really like to have a, a long-term solution there. Um, and so for me, a few guys that I really like, Jalen Peter out of Baylor, smaller guy. He specifically plays the slot um, and great, great player. Really interested to see where he lands up. Roger McCreary out of my, uh, my college team in Auburn, uh, just had to put him on here because, you know, I love him being from Auburn. He plays with a lot of energy. Energy. He's a leader on the team. Uh, he is a tone setter. He's the type of player that uh, recognizes momentum in a game, knows how to shift it, uh, knows when big plays are needed. I think that he's a guy that's going to know his role in the league. And even though he, he doesn't uh, have like, all the flashy physicals. He's not like a physical freak. Um, he's not super clean in terms of his technicality. And he's not, you know, he doesn't wow you in a whole lot of categories. Um, but like I said, he has an eye for the ball. He has, you know, an eye for the momentum of the game, knows the game, is a leader, and knows how to get his guys riled up. And I think that's such an important role on a modern defense is having that leader um, and having that guy to pump everybody up kind of like a uh, Kareem Jackson, honestly, that we, that we lost uh, was he was that guy that would, you know, a running back catches a pass out in the flat and you see Kareem Jackson just scream over there and just hit the lights out of him. The entire rest of the defense goes, Oh, okay. Okay. That's how we're playing this game. All right. You know what I mean? So it's like, uh, you know, I would love to see him. I, I don't even care what team he goes to. I'm, I'm going to root for him. I'm excited to see his career, um, and I hope the best for him. But it would be awesome to see him be a Denver Bronco. And then uh, Kyle Gordon out of Washington, somebody who played slot and outside snaps, um, so versatile guy. Uh, I think he's going to be successful in the league as well. Um, and then inside linebacker, uh, somebody I mentioned with the – Chargers, both of them actually, Chad Muma out of Wyoming, as well as Brian Asamoah out of Oklahoma. 
Uh, Asamoa is one of my favorite guys in the draft, uh, just jumps off the tape. Uh, and then Channing Tyndall is another good option out of Georgia, super speedy guy um, and just flashes all over the field. Um, and then some running back depth. Uh, you do talk about losing Melvin Gordon and you have Javante Williams who had a breakout first year, um, but he's the type of back that breaks a lot of tackles, spends a lot of energy, uh, you had a really good one-two punch with Melvin Gordon, and I actually personally thought for the right price, I think it would have been the right move to bring Melvin back, um, which technically still could happen, but I doubt it. Um, so it would be nice to see them pick somebody up. Uh, Kyron Williams out of Notre Dame is an interesting guy. Uh, had 14 touchdowns in his last eight games in college and just went off. Yeah, yeah, right. I was like, geez, I just had to include that in there. Uh, and then Tyler, uh, I think it's Algier, Algier out of BYU. He's a big bruiser type. Uh, you know, that's kind of the role that Melvin, even though Melvin Gordon has uh, a bit of speed and a bit of agility despite his size, uh, he does fill a, a bit more of that bruiser role. Um, and that was a nice one-two punch with uh, Javante Williams. Um and then uh, Pierre Strong Jr., somebody I mentioned with the Charter section as well out of South Dakota State, more of a speedy guy, more of an agility guy, um, but just a great, great player, somebody who's going to be successful in the league. Um, and, you know, you get two good running backs in a running back room and good things are going to happen regardless of their play styles together. So, uh, yeah. And uh, is there anything that you would like to add on the Denver Broncos, Enrique? Um, yeah, actually. Um, so I love your take on Roger McCurry because I love him. I love him coming out of Auburn. Uh, leader on the defense for sure. Um, I'm, I, I have an Auburn corner, uh, Bryce Hall. Um, or wait, did Bryce Hall come out of Auburn or Virginia? Sorry, their colors are very, very close. So sometimes yeah. I forget. Um, I, but I think it might be Virginia. I think it was Virginia. I, I don't think it was Auburn. Dang, I fucked that up. Sorry, Bryce Hall. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Auburn. Um, but no, I love I love McCurry uh, coming out of Auburn. I think he's one of the better corners. Um, I think he slept on a little bit, but I, I definitely do think that him and PS2 would make a that's that's a secondary right there in Denver, especially with Justin Simmons back there. Um, yeah, I love that move. Um, I love Abraham Lucas um, as a right tackle for the Broncos. If you guys can get him, um, I think he I think he might be there. I think um, Ojabo, if 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 he does drop and you guys are able to maybe sneak back into the end of that first round, yeah, I think that might I think that might be enough for it. Um, it just all it's going to be depending on because I that that edge pairing between him and Randy Gregory it would be crazy, and then you have oh. then you can give Chubb. Uh, as and I, I know Denver Bronco fans love Bradley Chubb, and I'm not really sure why, to be honest with you. He's, <laughs> he's just barely on the field for me, and I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're right. He's though. barely on the field. So, you know, if you can make Chubb a more rotational piece, I think that fits better for him, um, at least right now. At least right now, um, until I see more. Uh, Chad Muma coming from Wyoming. Yeah, I. You know, if I can shout out Wyoming or uh, Alabama, I I definitely will. So, 
Uh, shout out to the University of Wyoming for producing quality football players. And I think he's. Yeah. Uh, I think. I think he's perfect. I, I, all you got to do is come down I-25 a little bit, and uh, I think he's a plug-and-play inside linebacker for the Broncos for sure. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think running back depth is important, especially for the way that Nathaniel Hackett is trying to um, approach this run game. And I think Javante needs that that backup guy just to give him a break. Um, I, think, I, I think I agree with your point in regards to um, – Melvin Gordon uh, on going back to the Chargers or coming back to the Broncos. I think either way is a perfect fit for him, depending on if he wants to take a little bit less money. But I also, I also have to give it to him, um, you know, and I hope, I hope he takes a little bit less money so he can get on a team. Cause I do think that Melvin Gordon saw some tread on the tires. Um, but Hey, I, I, you're a running back dude. And, and Melvin Gordon, like you said last week is low key randomly uh, kind of up there and, in terms of running back age, um, because we know that they're one of those positions that kind of kind of falls out of the league a little bit earlier than others. Uh, so, yeah, I respect Melvin Gordon trying to sit there and kind of get his bag a little bit. But, yeah, uh, yeah I do think it's about, it's about time that um, Melvin signs with somebody, and I think running it back with the Broncos, especially now with Russell Wilson. Uh, yeah, Russell Wilson would be enough for me to – for me to want to come back. and. Right. Yeah, I mean, I just think that I think this. Even though you guys have, you guys don't have that. Um, what did you guys have before the ninth overall pick? Yeah, yeah. I think even though you guys don't have that ninth overall pick uh, anymore, I still think you guys can definitely make some noise in the draft. And um, I mean, all, all I gotta ask is, you you don't want anybody from Alabama. You don't want nobody from Alabama. <laughs> like, there's not, there's not one Crimson Tide on this whole list. Uh, and I'm 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 still relatively, you know, I'm still trying to decide who my college team is going to be officially because I just I don't have one, man. Like I just don't like college football like that. But uh, I'm starting to get into it a little bit more, uh, especially hanging out with you um, and hanging out with some other people that uh, know about some college football like that. It's been um, it's been interesting. So uh, uh, sooner or later, I'll decide who's going to be my official college football team, but. I'm really, I'm really disappointed that you don't want one of them Crimson Tide boys on, on the Broncos at all. Hey, what can I say, man? War Eagle, you, you just, I, I, <laughs> you just, you, you can't like until they're on your team. I, I love Jerry Judy, uh, but until he was a Denver Bronco, I was not uh, going to accept him as a player. I, I guess that's true. I guess that's fair. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But no, dude, I think you killed it on the Broncos. I, I think. Uh, as we keep as we keep looking, uh, as we keep getting closer to the draft, you know, like we said with the Jets, we'll start narrowing some of this stuff down. But yeah, dude, especially with the Broncos, the Broncos kind of have, without having that first round pick, you know, because uh, everybody loves the first round. I mean, that's the one that's on TV. It's the one. Uh, I think this year we're in Vegas, right? So that's the one that's in Vegas. But um, yeah. you know, it's those, it's those, it's that second round, that third round, the fourth, fifth, sixth. Those are those are the guys that really, honestly, build your team. And I mean, you know, you throw enough, uh, you throw enough darts at that board, like you're saying. I mean, Tom Brady literally was a sixth round draft pick, like seventh right. round draft pick, six, seventh round draft, like yeah. So that's all I yeah. gotta say. You throw throw enough darts at that board, maybe. Maybe you end up with a Tom Brady, you know? 
Exactly. There's, there's value everywhere. And, you know, that, that's the nice thing about uh, drafts like this as well. Uh, it's a class that uh, at least coming into the drafts, we're looking at as almost a generational class for the amount of talent there is uh, in terms of a few different position groups and the, the offense or the trenches really. Um, and then you look at the edges and some linebackers and even a bit of the corners there. Um, and so it's uh, definitely a draft where you can get a ton of value in the later rounds, uh, really get value out of, you know, picks that aren't first round picks. Cause a lot of times you come in there and you're thinking like uh, you have to get this one blue chip player. And that's the one player you tout your draft class on. Uh, but drafts like these are really where you can come out with two, three, even four, if you're lucky, uh, starters, you know, even long-time starters. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see for all teams involved, uh, but especially for a team like the Broncos uh, who took the Rams route and traded away that first round pick and uh, now have to try and salvage a, a draft class out of that. But coming into it with eight uh, picks is certainly not a bad thing. Um, Absolutely. And so for our last section of the day, we're going to go ahead and talk about something that I know you're very passionate about. You got me into it uh, and got me really passionate about it as well. And I'm starting to like it a lot more. And uh, that is the UFC. And on April 9th, next Saturday here, uh, UFC 273 is going to kick off. And how excited are we, Enrique? Oh, dude i I can't even I can't even begin to explain how excited I am. Especially, uh, you know, this is the first uh, UFC pay per view uh, that we're covering on the show. Uh, yep. I'm I'm so stoked, so 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 happy. I know so, that we uh, we do we do the Jets and the Broncos, and we do the NFL. But um, obviously, you know, I have a huge passion for combat sports in general, but specifically MMA and yeah, UFC 273, April 9th, Jacksonville, Florida. Um, Let me tell you, so Jacksonville hooked us up back back in 2020 because they allowed uh, the UFC to be the first sport back on TV, to be the first sport um, kicking something off. And that was Justin Gaethje, Tony Ferguson. Oh, yeah, Um, we watched that. Yep, absolutely. And so the fact that uh, the UFC is returning the favor uh, uh, down in Jacksonville again, um, I just love it. I mean, yeah, the headliner, um, Alexander Volkanovsky, uh, and the Korean zombie Chan Sung Young, um, that's that's a huge that's a huge fight right then and there. I and the the whole card. I mean, from the early prelims. Uh, through the normal prelims to the main card, the whole card has, uh, you know, sneaky fights uh, that I'm just, I'm so stoked. I'm so stoked for this. Heck yeah, man. Yeah. There's, there's a ton going on. It is a big card uh, with some really exciting fights on it. Uh, And like you said, you have some really exciting fights on the surface, um, but then there's also some of those sneaky good fights um, that not everybody is necessarily looking forward to, but uh, you know, come April 9th, they're going to get a show for sure. Um, so to start it off, the big fight that you just alluded to, uh, you have in the featherweight class, a title fight between Alexander Volkanovsky 
and uh chan chain sung jung jesus uh the korean jo- uh, zombie sorry uh and they so first of all volkanovsky one of my favorite fighters in the ufc right now just an absolute force to watch uh has not lost in the ufc at all uh and not at all in nine years in his career nearly nine years i should say um and you know, really exciting fighter to watch uh, going against the Korean zombie who's worked his way up uh, for a chance at that title fight. Uh, Volkanovsky certainly a, a very great opponent to face, but uh, I think the Korean zombie is up to it and I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, this fight was actually initially going to be against Max Holloway uh, for their third fight and uh, Volkanovsky has won the first two of those fights. Um, but unfortunately Max had to pull out due to injury. So the Korean zombie came in and is going to step up there. Um, and he has won three of his last four fights, uh, but he did that one loss of his four. He lost to Brian Ortega, uh, who Volkanovsky beat down in his previous fight in September, 2021. So some interesting dynamics going on there. Uh, but two really, really good fighters and I'm really excited to see them battle it out. Yeah, I think the the I love I love leading out with uh, the headliner as well because I think it's one of the more interesting fights. Um, Alexander Volkanovsky, I've seen I've seen his come up like before he was even a title challenger. Um, he you know fought the who's who of the division. You know he fought uh, Jose Aldo, uh, who was the goat of the 145 division. Uh, beat him, knocked him out. Um, he fought Chad Mendez, um, you know, and I know you might not be as familiar with Chad, Chad Mendez as some of, uh, some of the other guys who have uh, watched the UFC, but Chad Mendez was one of the top guys. And, you know, now he's with a uh, bare knuckle uh, fighting championship. He was one of the top guys for just a long, long time. And Volkanovski has worked his way up. Uh, he obviously fought uh, Max uh, took the belt from Max, um, and then supposedly he won that second fight. I watched that second fight, uh, and I'm I'm a huge Max Holloway fan, so it, it really does pain me to say that Volk is two and zero against him. But uh, Max 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 will get that three P, and Max will get that belt back. But um, yeah, Volk fighting the Korean zombie. I mean, they call him the Korean zombie, you know, for a specific reason. And that's because that man comes forward and eats shots like the Korean zombies most dangerous uh, when he's on his feet. And I think that's where um, uh, the Korean zombie is going to want to try to keep this fight. Um, he is he is comfortable uh, mixing it up on the ground. I think the biggest reason why I kind of lean towards Volk in this fight is because I think Volk is the more well-rounded fighter. And if I'm being honest with you, I think, I think Alexander Volkanovsky has this, um, the spirit of wanting to be a champion. And I know like in other sports, like uh, in the NFL and uh, in the NBA kind of stuff that we cover, it's um, it's definitely a team sport, right? So you kind of can rely on other guys to 
kind of fix your imperfections or cover some of the stuff that you don't um, excel at. But in fighting, um, one of the big things that determines a lot of these fights is truly the fighter's mentality going into it. And uh, Alexander Volkanovsky does not lack confidence at all. Um, yeah. And if I'm being honest with you, there's a lot, a lot of MMA fans got to start putting some respect on Volk's name. What? I know that, you know, he kind of, He's kind of a little bland in some people's eyes, but I mean, he's just an all around solid dude. I mean, he came from, uh, you know, playing rugby. He was like 240 pounds when he was playing rugby. Uh, and he's the champion of the 145 pound division in the UFC um, and the UFC, you know, full of killers, full of killers. That fight was Brian Ortega. Uh, I mean, damn near was fight of the year. It was definitely round of the year for me. Round three. Uh, against Brian Ortega was just insane and shout out to Brian Ortega because he was the last person to beat the Korean zombie um, and yeah I just this fight to me really comes down to um, if if the Korean zombie can put that pressure on Volkanovsky that he's good at doing um, it could it could pose uh, some problems from Volk but I think that Volk's overall the more about more well-rounded fighter and i think that uh yeah he just has that heart of a lion the heart of a champion i don't think that volk's reign is going to end anytime soon um and that's that's obviously until he fights max holloway again because then unfortunately volk's back to the back of the line because the best is blessed baby the best is blessed yeah yeah no and i i totally agree with you I'm excited for the Korean zombie to get his chance, um, but Volk is just a force, and I, I would be surprised um, to see him finally go down. Um, you know, but it will be an interesting fight for sure. Uh, and then, so to see the co-feature here is a bantam white uh, bantam weight title fight, and this one is my personally what I'm looking forward to the most. Um, I believe we watched this uh, the first fight of this one as well between Aljamain mm-hmm. Sterling and uh, Peter Yan. And so in, in their first bout, very, very fun fight for the first few rounds. I believe it was either three or four um, that uh, Peter Yan was disqualified due to an illegal knee to the head. Uh, and then that would give Aljamain Sterling uh, the belt. Um, and he has not fought since then. So this will be his first fight back. Um, but since then, Peter Yan has actually come back and, um, during they were going to do this, uh, matchup with Aljamain, but he had to pull out in October 21. Um, and so he, uh, ended up fighting Corey Sandhagen and got the interim belt. So, uh, this will be another title fight to finally actually f- decide the, the true champion, um, Aljamain Sterling you know, in my opinion, in that first fight, he looked like he could have been the one to win it anyways. Um, but you always have that doubt because of the way it ended. Uh, you always want to have that kind of cemented and we could for sure see this end up being a three-peat. I think, um, definitely a fight with a lot of talk about it. Um, but yeah, really excited to see this one kick off. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for this one because I think it's going to do one or two things. Um, I think that if Aljamain wins, it definitely solidifies him as one of the better fighters in the division. Uh, well, 
it solidifies him as the champion of the division because there's a lot of fans that look at him right now and don't 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 see him as the champion of the division and i can relate to that you know i i'm not saying that i don't i i feel relatively indifferent about him uh winning the belt that way because it's not his fault he got need in the head illegally right. and that's the rules dude like i can't yeah. continue like you know now i will say that maybe maybe algermain you know put a little put a little acting you know on um but i also i also didn't get need in the head by you know peter Jan. so right, i don't know right. if it was acting i don't know if it wasn't but what i will tell you and we talked about this uh shout out to algermain sterling because he literally made a shirt uh like to respond to the haters that say he's a he's a part-time actor um he, he made a shirt about it and and i love that i love the confidence from aljamain sterling because he hasn't stopped talking since he won the belt he literally nice. has not stopped talking about uh about getting the rematch and finally finishing on off um so I, I love the confidence and i saw pictures of aljamain sterling this morning ridiculously jacked i cannot tell yeah. you i don't know i don't know how that man's 135 pounder right now because he's just joked out of his mind um but in regards to the actual fight um i do think that peter Jan's probably going to win and the only reason i say that is because i think peter Jan is probably the best 135 uh fighter in the world and just because of the way he's able to put pressure on guys and implement his game plan yeah. uh peter Jan's boxing is just super crispy super super nice i i, I want to say that um you know, Peter Jan has some of the crispiest boxing in the UFC right now. Um, and obviously, MMA boxing is different than true boxing. But, um, you know, if Peter Jan's able to implement his game plan and just keep keep the fight uh, standing and, you know, really put this forward pressure on Aljamain Sterling, I think it could give Aljamain problems. Um, I think that the advantage that Aljamain has is that he's, you know, He's a super solid wrestler, and he the the gym that he trains uh, at uh, out in the East Coast, you know, with Ally Quinta and all these other guys, they 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 just drill wrestling. You know, Chris Weidman and um, all those guys out there that train with Aljamain, and Aljamain has reached out and you know trained with Dagestan wrestlers and other guys like that, all in preparation for Peter Jan. So. I think that Algermain is taking this about as serious as he can take it. Um, and um, that's, that's, that's what I needed from Algermain because if Algermain didn't take it as serious as he did, I would say like that I could probably take a nap during the co co-main because <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would say that Peter Jan would just run right through him. But the fact that Algermain has took it so seriously really leads me to believe that this is going to be, um, this is going to be one of them sleeper, sleeper fight of the night type of fights because i really do think that um yeah this could be this could be something really nice i think the i i still think in the end it'll be peter Jan. um and let me tell you what if i'm aljermaine sterling obviously f for his reputation and his status as the champion i don't want peter Jan to win but i think if peter Jan wins it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a real long time before anyone beats him because Corey Sandhagen is 
Corey and TJ Dillashaw, arguably, you know, the second best in the division, um, however you want to rank them. Um, but ultimately, like, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if TJ could deal with the strength that uh, Peter Jan has. And obviously we just saw Peter Jan and Corey Sanhagen. Um, eventually Peter Jan was able to break him down a little bit. So I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a fun fight regardless. And I'm really, I'm really excited to finally get this one out of the way. Cause if I'm being honest with you, as much as I love the confidence from Aljamain Sterling, I am getting tired of the Instagram posts. Because um, <laughs> he can be, he, he can be a little cringy sometimes. He really can be. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I feel that for sure. And it's it's one of those fights for me where it's like, you know, I, I will, I'm sure we'll be ready to, to have it done. Uh, but I do look forward to it because I love the UFC fights that have, you know, what feels like at least real drama leading up to it. And they feel like they hit a little bit harder um, and not necessarily even like the manufactured like Conor McGregor drama where, you know, sometimes he's had some real drama going on and then sometimes he's just stirring up shit to stir up shit, you know? Right. Um, but this feels like both of them really want to win it because they're upset about how it ended last time and there's, like, genuine passion going into it. So definitely really excited about that fight. Um, I agree with you. Uh, you know, kind of like Volkanovsky, Jan is just a force and it's going to be an uphill battle for Aljamain, but... Like you said, he's taking it seriously. He really wants to win. It seems like he's really focused on that. And uh, one thing that I loved in the initial uh, fight that, you know, and obviously it's an emotional reaction, but it shows you a lot of where his mindset was at uh, even initially right after it happened. And I'm sure his brain's shaking around a little bit at the time is uh, right after the disqualification and he got named champion, he threw the belt down and he threw it, uh, you know, and it's like, that shows you even he felt that it wasn't how he wanted to win it. Um, and he wants to win it fair and square. He wants to win it by his own merit um, and not because Peter Jan disqualified himself. Um, so, yeah, very, very excited for that fight. Um, third fight, however, on the card uh, or the main card, I should say, uh, is a welterweight fight between Gilbert Burns and then Kamzat Kimeyev. And man, this is going to be an interesting one as well, for sure. Burns, always a good watch. Uh, but then you have Kamzat Kimeyev, who is a combined 14 and zero uh, between the UFC and just his overall MMA experience. Um, you know, like, I mean, wh what can you say? Uh, he's, he's just, he wrestles everybody to death. Uh, he has a four and UFC record and all four of those fights so far have ended by a stoppage. Um, and then all four of them have also, uh, gotten him a $50,000 performance of the night bonus. Uh, so, you know, interesting up and coming fighter unbeaten so far, uh, and just a scary, scary being <laughs> pretty much but gilbert burns is going to get a chance to go against him um he is coming off a win over wonder boy stephen thompson at uh ufc 264 um and then he is also you know you talk about kimeyev being a very very strong grappler um you know from a, a long chain of those 
uh, Russian guys over there that just are ridiculous grapplers and feel like they're way ahead of pretty much everyone else. Like they're just absurdly good at grappling. Um, but Burns can stack up at least a little bit as he is a three-time world champion and a world cup gold medalist, uh, gold medalist uh, within the grappling realm. Um, so an interesting fight to watch for sure. Um, and whether or not Gilbert Burns can finally take down comes at, uh, or if he's just going to continue his reign of terror of the UFC. Yeah. And, and to me, this is, this is um, this fight and the, the, the next fight that we'll talk about the Mackenzie Dern fight. These two are the, the most intriguing fights for me. And the, the reason why the Gilbert Burns Cosma Chimaya fight is so, uh, interesting to me is because whenever there's a big hype force in the UFC, they always eventually get to the point where they, uh, you know, match them with one of the, one of the better guys in the division. Um, and there has not been a hype train like Cosma. Literally, I would probably say since Conor McGregor, um, you know, this guy, when we were doing the fight island stuff, he, you know, was staying the next week and then fighting the next week. Like, um, he has a 40 second knockout of Gerald, uh, Mershaw, which if you haven't seen it, it is, um, it's, a, it's literally his first punch. He puts the guy out. It's yeah. crazy. I, and, and that was when I was very, um, apprehensive of him i was like okay well he wrestles hella good but what about the striking and then that next fight he puts gerald out in his first punch um so this is finally his big test against um someone that i mean gilbert burns just fought for the belt two fights ago and obviously you know he lost to kamara usman by knockout but you know it's it's not that far off it's it's not that far off for for gilbert burns um you know and i think that a lot of guys have in the ufc have been kind of running from cosma which is interesting the only two people that i've ever heard accept a fight or have been willing to accept a fight with this man gilbert burns and neil magny uh i'm not sure neil magny's beef with him because neil magny is literally still calling out cosma uh to this day still calls him out but okay. Gilbert Burns uh, is the one that, you know, gets the opportunity to kind of stop the hype train. And, you know, to me, it's going to be a big matchup of wrestling versus jujitsu. You know, like you brought up, uh, you know, Gilbert Burns is a wizard in the grappling world, is a wizard in that jujitsu game. Um, and, you know, Cosma, you know, he's part of that longstanding, uh, you know, reputation of, the those crazy Russian dudes that just ground and pound and pick you up and slam you to the ground, um, you know, in that Habib kind of um, yeah mold. Um, I think the biggest difference between him and some of the more like uh, Islam Makashev or uh, Habib is uh, Cosma has really got some hands. Uh, he's yeah. really really got some power in his hands, and I think that's the thing that um, that has me worried about Gilbert a little bit. Because uh, Gilbert can be kind of susceptible to getting hit with big shots, um, a la you know Kamar Usman. Um, but um, I think if Gilbert, if Gilbert can get him down, and I want to say, especially in like the second and third round, when theoretically people are supposed to be more tired, I don't know how tired Cosmo gets. I, I'm just 
the legends, uh, the legends and stories of him in training camp were just absolutely insane. So um, if Gilbert's able to kind of, you know, play a dirty, dirty boxing, you know, kind of getting close with the clinch, take him down, try to uh, try to grapple him in terms of uh, jujitsu grappling. I think it's going to be great. Um, but yeah, this, this fight is, this fight is huge and it's huge not only just on this card, but for the MMA world in general, because we're finally going to see Cosma against elite, elite competition, because that's what Gilbert Burns is. Gilbert Burns is elite competition. I think he's ranked third or fourth in the whole division, just beat yeah. Wonderboy. And I, I didn't see him getting past Wonderboy at all. So the fact that he was able to is really, um, is honestly very very impressive to me because I thought Wonder Boy was going to stand back, piece him up, but now Gilbert went in and made the fight his fight. And when you're able to do that against a specialist like Wonder Boy, because Wonder Boy is usually the one that does that. Wonder Boy usually makes uh, anyone fight the way Wonder Boy wants them to fight. But right. Gilbert Burns did not do that. Gilbert Burns was able to change the pace and uh, you know kind of make it his his type of fight and won it that way. So yeah, to me this is definitely the the most interesting fight on here, um, and hopefully it leads up to its its hype and reputation because yeah, this one this one's supposed to be pretty big. I agree with you. Yeah, I'm very excited to see it. Uh, both both guys got a lot to prove. Um, you know, I'm sure Kamzat is very excited to continue to establish his name. Uh, you know, and then Gilbert Burns still trying to come back and maybe get another chance at a title fight against Kamaru Usman if he can prove um, that he can avoid some of those power shots like you were talking about and, um, you know, maybe make some adjustments to his game and, and make a comeback there could be the start of that as well. Um, so very interesting fight to see, very interesting fight to talk about. Uh, and then our next fight on the main card uh, women's strawweight fight between Mackenzie Dern and sorry, I'm gonna butcher it, Tekia Torres, Tisha Torres. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think it's Tisha. Tisha, Tisha, that makes sense. Um, so Mackenzie Dern is looking to come back from a decision loss to Marina uh, Rodriguez in October, uh, snapping a four win streak. Unfortunately for her, uh, looking to make uh, just you know start come back and build a new win streak there. Um, and then Torres, though, on the other hand, is surging with a three-win streak uh, after losing four in a row. Um, so, you know, both coming in at different points in their career, um, one looking to bounce back and um, start reestablishing, and then Torres just, you know, on a tear at the moment. Yeah, this is, to me, this is... Um the the second most interesting fight because um this is kind of another one of those like a very established veteran kind of going up against a hype force and right. um an excellent point that you brought up is that yeah they kind of are in two spots of their careers right now um with tisha torres you know obviously her record um 22 and 10 you know and depending on how you look at that you know you might say that's not a very good record but um, Tisha Torres really is uh, an absolutely just perfectly well-rounded fighter. Um, she keeps she keeps very uh, light on her feet, kind of keeps moving around the octagon the whole time. And Mackenzie Dern's the opposite. 
You know, she Mackenzie Dern's going to probably be looking to get this fight to the ground and kind of keep it at a slower pace. Um, but you know, Mackenzie Dern's this young up and coming star, and uh, yeah, I love Mackenzie Dern. I love Mackenzie Dern for so many reasons, so so many reasons. Besides the fact that she's super hot, she um, she really <laughs> she she really does come out here and uh, do her thing. She implements her game plan. Um, excellently she's a jiu-jitsu ace uh her her dad uh taught jiu-jitsu for a really long time um and i i i feel so 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 terribly bad uh her because her dad is relatively famous in the jiu-jitsu in the jiu-jitsu world but um his name is just a super blank to me right now um but yeah i mean she's literally been doing jiu-jitsu for since she was a little girl so yeah, she's she's very very proficient in it, very very proficient in getting to the ground and and bending your body to the way she wants it. Right. Uh, and on the opposite hand, you have Tisha Torres, who is like I said, is probably going to be looking to keep this uh, fight standing up, uh, just because Mackenzie Dern's striking skills are still developing. She's gotten better de- uh, striking each one of her fights in the UFC, but they still are very much under, under development. And Tisha Torres, I think is going to look to capitalize on that. And even more so shout out to Tisha Torres because her wife, Raquel Pennington is also on the card. She's on the prelim card and she's fighting another up and comer Aspen lad. So um, nice. yeah, I'm sure have, having your, uh, having your wife on the card with you uh, and Tisha Torres and Raquel Pennington, uh, both stay out in, um, I think they stay out in, uh, like, kind of the Littleton area, Cherry Creek area. They say they they they're they're uh, Colorado natives as well. So, um, cool. you know, definitely definitely going to be rooting for the Colorado natives. But I do think that um, I have to go with my girl Mackenzie Dern. Um, and I think if Mackenzie Dern is able to beat Tisha Torres, it's going to be a very, very clear sign of where she's at development, uh, developmentally, um, with her, with her, with her whole, um, mixed martial arts game coming together, you know, because like I said, coming into the UFC, she was really just known for her jujitsu and being hot. So the fact that she's been able to string some wins together and show people otherwise, and I mean, she's got busted up uh, a few of these fights and she's, she's been able to hang in there and, um, and she's fought some tough girls, but by far Tisha Torres is going to be the, the biggest test for her. And I'm definitely, I'm definitely excited to see how, how this one plays. Anytime I can get like a young potential rising star versus like a savvy veteran and i can like because it's the will of two people it's the will of uh you know like the new dog in the house the new the young lion that wants to take over the pride like i i love that i love that storyline so much especially with two uh two women you know um it's it's an even cooler storyline because you know mackenzie dern is really gonna try to come in here and establish and get back on that win streak and snap t-shirts so i'm excited to see uh i'm excited to see which which will is stronger and who's able to implement their game plan better because yeah between the cosmo fight and the mackenzie darren fight like i'm i'm good on i'm i'm so happy about this card i i just cannot tell you this card is just amazing yeah yeah, that's like you said, this whole card seems to be packed, but uh, this one definitely seems like one to watch for um, and one that's going to be 
you know, tightly or tight competition there. Um, and then one other fight here, or I'm sorry, two other fights. The next fight here, heavyweight fight between Jared Vandera and Alexi Olenek. Um, and so this fight was supposed to be uh, rescheduling of about with uh, Ilir Latifi, um, but unfortunately he had to pull out with an illness. Um, and, oh, I'm sorry. So he was actually going to be rescheduled once. He had to pull out. So there was a, a different fight. And then they tried to reschedule it a second time. And he had to pull out this time as well, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, we got Vandera and Olenek here. And both of those guys are actually looking to back, uh, bounce back um, as Olenek has lost three straight for the first time in his career. And then Vandera is just one in three in his time in the UFC. So not a hot start for him, uh, but maybe he can bounce back against Olenek with a very long MMA record uh, at 59-16-1, and one, um, but he's eight and seven in the UFC specifically. Yeah, to me, this is um, this fight should be relatively quick, um, and I only say that because I'm a big believer in Alexi Olenek. Um, I, if I remember right, the reasons why Alexi has lost his last three is because he's been trying to stand and bang a little bit. Um, Alexi Olenek, that's not his. That's not his repertoire. He wants to get you to the ground and choke you out. And I think, unfortunately, that's probably what's going to happen with uh, Jared Vendera here. Um, I just, I mean, 59, 59 wins in MMA, yeah, 16 losses. That's crazy. That's a crazy it's, amount of fight. That's it's so, so many. insane. <laughs> it's so fucking many. And even more so, um, if I remember right, I'm pretty sure Alexi Olenek has, um, has some sort of uh, UFC – submission record like he's been able to pull off a certain type of submission more so than anybody else in the ufc um and yeah so alexio linick is a dangerous man he really really is and yeah i just i really do think unfortunately for uh jared he's just a little uh little too a little too green for this one plus i've uh i've watched jesse fight before and um or Jared fight before I keep calling him Jesse. I'm so sorry. Um, I've watched Jared fight before and uh, yeah, he's just, a, he's a little slow in regard to striking. I think his best attribute is he can keep up the cardio over three rounds as a heavyweight. And that's, I know that kind of sounds like I'm shitting on his fighting skills, but as a heavyweight, that really is a skill that you can bring with you because yeah, you see it with a lot of these bigger guys. I mean, if you go look at the Francis Ngannou's or the Derek Lewis's or, you know, guys of of you know this heavyweight stature, they don't always carry the cardio with them to last right. the three rounds. So when you're getting to that second, uh, that third round, these guys are breathing heavy and they have a hard time swinging, and that's when heavyweight fights get really really boring. Um, so I'm hoping that Alexi is able to is able to wrap it up relatively quickly. Uh, but, and that's what I do think is going to happen. But if Jared's able to kind of hold on and keep him on his feet, uh, there's a chance that Jared pulls the upset. I think this, uh, this fight has the opportunity to be one of the bigger upsets of the whole card, unless the Korean zombie or um, Al Jermaine are able to pull, pull, pull off the upset. 
But yeah, I think the 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 Jared fight might be one of those things that if he's just able to change a few things and stop some takedowns, he might have a chance to really go out there. And uh, I, 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 if I'm being honest with you, I think if Jared loses this fight, he's probably out of the UFC. So I All think right. he has a lot, a, a lot riding on this. And then, um, I mean, the UFC has done done some crazy things. I could see, I could see them cutting Olenek too. So you know, this might be the fight of two guys that are on the fringe of uh, their career right now. Um, yeah. Maybe less so on Alexi's part, but um, yeah, I think that this is definitely going to be one of those more interesting fights. I'm just, this card is just, this card is stacked. Like when I saw Alexi Olenek's name on here, I was like, and Alexi's fighting too. I'm a big fan of Alexi just because I've. I've seen him fight so many times at this point that, you know, you just, he's a familiar face. You just start rooting for him after a little while. Yeah. Plus 59 wins, 59 wins. That's, yeah. That's, that's just so crazy. No mm-hmm. one, like I'm telling you right now, no one in the UFC has anything like that. Like, and please feel free to stat check me. No one is fucking with Alexi Olenek's record like that. Like, no one's even close. No one, no one's even kind of close. Yeah, no, that's it's so crazy. Just the amount of fights, let alone the fact that he won most of them, and it's like, you know, it, it's absurd that his body's still holding up at this point, really. But um, yeah, that that'll be an interesting fight for sure. Uh, you know, unfortunate that we didn't get the initial bout uh, and that uh, Latifi had to pull out there. Um, but you know, interesting to see Vanderag get a chance, and and we'll see what he can do. Um, and then the, the last fight on the main card is a middleweight fight. I have already butchered too many names today, but I'm going to butcher one more. I believe it this is. One's hard. This one's it hard. Is hard. I'll give you that. This one, this one is Dr- hard. I'm going to go with Driku Du Plessy. We're just going to try that uh, versus Kevin Gastelum. And Du Plessy, uh, he's coming in on short no- uh, notice. After Nasruddin Imavov pulled out, uh, Gastelum is coming off dropping five of his last six, and his last win was in uh, February of 2021 against Ian Heinisch. Uh, but Duplessis is two and zero in the UFC, and he has finishes in each of his fights so far. So uh, an interesting bout there. Uh, I, I think I'm going to have to root for Duplessis just because his name is so interesting. Right. But yeah, I I think um, so. Honestly, this is this is the fight for Ke- uh, Kevin Gastelum because I mean you just and granted like Kevin Gastelum has fought monsters like it, it's not like he's not fighting great great A competition. Um. Let me see if I can real quickly pull up his last few fights because, yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's like he just fought Robert Whitaker. He, he's fought literally just studs. But I think like besides Ian Heinish, that's probably the that's probably the one that I would probably say he had the best the best opportunity for. Yeah, he just fought Jared Cannonier, who's probably going to fight uh, Israel Adesanya for the belt. Before that, he fought Robert Whitaker, who just fought Adesanya for the belt. Uh, he beat Ian uh, Ian Heinish. He lost to Jack Hermanson, 
who is another top 10 guy. He lost to Darren Till, who's another top 10 guy. And then literally he, he fought Adesanya for the interim belt. The thing that I think honestly has kept Gastelum in the UFC is because he's a tough son of a bitch, dude. Like, yeah. And he always comes to fight, but he is a tough son of a bitch. So I think that's going to be the, the biggest problem that, uh, Duplee has is that you got to get uh, Kelvin Gastelum out of there. But um, ultimately, uh, this is just, yeah, this is a really scary fight because normally I would go with uh, Gastelum on this one just because uh, I, I believe that Gastelum has the things that he can uh, win with as far as his wrestling is really strong. He's tough son of a bitch. He can take a punch and, um, you know, his striking's on par enough. Uh, the parts that I start to worry is um, Duplee really has knocked out two guys um, his first two fights in the UFC. I think the biggest disadvantage is that he has taken this fight on last last minute. Um, but I mean, what can you do? I applaud I applaud every man and woman that's able to step up and save a card. Raquel Pennington is stepping up and saving uh, her fight. Um, and then you have, you know, obviously Duplee stepping up and saving his fight with Calvin Gastelum. Um, so, yeah, I mean, anytime you can step up and save save a fight because otherwise, you know, we're not going to – they're going to drop a fight from the card. I applaud you for sure. But I'm just hoping that uh, uh, ultimately this ends up working out for him because I think that – yeah, depending on what Calvin Gastelum is game plan, and that's the other thing that how do you game plan for somebody that that just stepped in a week or two weeks before right. you, know, you were supposed to fight someone completely different? So I think True. this is going to be a, a a nice little toss up. And let me tell you what, I'm just definitely glad that I'm not betting on on uh, on the fights that night because a lot of these fights can go one or two different ways like i can't i can't honestly tell you who's gonna win that gastelum and duplee fight because i really do think it could go either way um uh, yeah i i just i want to lean on calvin because i uh, i just don't want to see him get cut and i think for sure he gets cut if um if he loses this fight i don't know how you i mean yeah i don't know how you don't cut him i just and i feel so bad for saying that but it's uh, there's just really no point after that. I mean, he, he would have lost six in a row. Like, it's yeah. really hard. And and the thing about Calvin too is like, when you see him lose, you feel so bad for him because he really is an upbeat guy. And you know his uh, his Twitter handle and his Instagram handle are on a mission for gold. And it seems like with every uh, every loss, he gets further and further away from that. And he he's fought the who's who, you know. So it's uh, it's really really sad to see um, to see him at this point. But uh, I'm glad that he's still going to be able to fight. I'm glad that I still am able to watch him fight, and I'm glad that he's going to be able to. Because um, yeah, you know these guys, unlike in the NFL and the NBA or uh, these other leagues, these guys get paid when they fight. So if they don't fight, they don't get paid. They right. don't get constant paycheck coming in. So when these guys fight, they get paid. And that's um that's that's what I like to see. I like to see guys get paid. But yeah, man, this this whole card is just crazy. Um real quick, like uh on the early prelims, 
I don't really see anything that I'm too excited about besides maybe the Anthony Hernandez, Josh, uh, Josh Fremd fight. Um, on the preliminary card, you got Jarzinho Rosenstrike and Marcin Tabura, which is going to be a nice little heavyweight fight. But otherwise, uh, the Aspen Lad Raquel Pennington fight is going to be really nice on the prelims. Um, Mickey Gall is a big name as well, um, but he it's uh, Mickey Gall and Mike Malat is probably going to be a big uh, a big big grappling match if I'm being honest with you. So. Yeah, the Aspen Lad, Raquel Pennington, Jarzinho Rosenstrike, Marcin Tabura on the prelim card. And then the whole main card is just stacked up from top to bottom, especially especially starting off with the two title fights. Like, with the fact that you can end your night with two title fights and one of them is going to be Alexander Volkanovsky, that's that's just a solid fight night for you. So um, I'm stoked for this one. And you already know for sure we're getting together to watch this one because – this is one of those cards that we just we got to link up for this one. This one, this one's gonna be really nice. This one, and then you know we got to watch our boy Justin Gaethje uh, when he fights Charles Oliveira. Oh, you know it, you know it. Yeah, no, never miss a, a Gaethje fight for sure. Uh, but this this card absolutely is just absurdly stacked from top to bottom. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned some of the prelim fights there. I was actually gonna ask you about that and. You know, on the main card, you have fights that have stakes in terms of championships and you have fights in, uh, that have stakes in terms of like career trajectory. You know what I mean? Just a lot going on, uh, a lot of interesting fights between the people, but then also, you know, like I mentioned, the stakes behind the people and uh, what it might mean for them, depending on uh, the results. So uh, a very, very interesting card. Uh, I'm excited that this was our first one to cover on the show. I'm excited that we got to talk about it, and uh, I cannot wait to watch it with you, Enrique. Oh, I cannot wait either. And yeah, for sure. I think um, I think the plan moving forward is we'll probably just cover some of these bigger, obviously the bigger pay per views and the bigger fight nights. But yeah, to start this one out um, on the show is is perfect. You can't can't ask for a bigger card uh, to start start it out for us. So. I'm super stoked and I'm even more excited to uh, to watch it with you, my friend, because that's what it's all about is getting together and watch some good fights. And hopefully, um, I don't know, now that I'm thinking about it, I kind of want Volk to lose. So that way Max can just come in and knock out the Korean zombie and get that bell back. But There you go. You're thinking outside the box. I like it. Anything to help my guys, anything to help my guys and, between Max Holloway and uh, Jesse Gaethje, I don't, I don't know who I love more. So, anything to help my guys. But uh, yeah, man, I don't know. I guess we'll just have to see what happens next Saturday. We'll at least we'll we'll, we'll talk about it after uh, after it all happens too. So that'll be nice. For sure, can't wait to talk about it on the show with you, my friend. All right, thank you everyone for listening. This has been the Mile High Flight Show, and we'll see you guys next week. Later, guys. <laughs>